The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts, everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. guys welcome back to another edition of the wrestling memory grenade this is episode 26 wow that's a half a year's worth i'm your host ray russell joining me steve x at steve welcome back to the show thanks for having me absolutely my friend we're in the month of november of 1989 and the nwa we're going to cover the first two weeks of november as we head into clash of the champions nine new york knockout and as we get going, Steve, do you have anything you want to talk a touch upon on Halloween Havoc? Any thoughts, last minute thoughts uh, coming out of that? I know we did the uh, watch along last week. Anything you, you anything catch you off guard you weren't expecting going coming out of that pay per view? No, nothing really. Nothing out of the ordinary came from it. A, it was a little lackluster, other than you know the last few matches, but it was nothing, about what I expected it to be. Yeah, nothing electric fine. Okay, I got you. We'll Definitely move along not. then. Definitely Here's not. what Dave Meltzer had to. There, <laughs> what's that? Elvira wasn't there, so nothing electrifying. No, no. Dave Meltzer commented on the, of course he did, commented on the main event of the pay-per-view. He says, and the whole electrified cage angle, which had been so loudly hyped, was a flop. There were gimmicks set up to where, and we talked about this on the watch along, by the way. There were gimmicks set up to where if you touch certain parts of the cage, it would make your hair stand up. Uh, your hair stand up on end, but the electricity to those special effects were turned off when the fire marshal ordered the plug pulled on the cage after the pre-match fire. And one was promised the most violent match ever, and with the blood ban, 
the effect of what they were going for, what they were selling, wasn't there. There was no logical reason for all the cage climbing either. Obviously, Terry Funk spent the second half of the match hanging from the cage. Anyway, says Meltzer, it's easy to understand why a lot of people were not happy with the main event and equally easy to see why a lot of people were happy with it as well because there was a lot of action and Funk really did give it his all, even if he spent most of the time hanging from the side of the cage like a monkey. Uh, he still gave it a go. It was Terry Funk doing the best he could with what he had to work with. Yeah, I don't know why people would be disappointed. I get you're selling a certain idea of what this is going to be, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to see those four guys go out in a cage match. I didn't care about all the other crap. It was just a gimmick to get people to buy, and if they did based off of that, that does suck. But at the end of the day, I was happy with the match itself overall. It was pretty fun. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-host for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. So as we get going with November of 89, there are tapings at center stage on November 1st of 1989. The first bit of news that comes out of that is there are new NWA World Tag Team Champions. The Steiner brothers have defeated the fabulous Freebirds. Thank God. And uh, we're not going to see that here on this episode of The Grenade. But we will see that in two weeks' time, because next week is Clash of the Champions 9 watch-along, but in two weeks it will air, and we'll talk all about the title change. Thank God for that. Also coming into the company is Lord Littlebrook. For those who only know the basics in professional wrestling, you'll know Lord Littlebrook from WrestleMania 3. He was one of the 
the midgets, if you will, on the team of King Kong Bundy on that night. Uh, Lord Littlebrook, obviously one of the originals, man, as far as uh, the little guys go in the ring. Been in the business a very long time. Now, who made the call on this is beyond me, but he's coming in to manage the New Zealand militia. What a group that will be. (laughs) That's no lie. The Atlanta Constitution, which is the local newspaper, reported that the NWA had signed up a guy by the name of Jorge Gonzalez, a seven foot seven, three hundred eighty pound member of the Argentinian national basketball team. Gonzalez was originally a draft choice by the Atlanta Hawks, but was deemed to be neither in good enough condition nor tough enough under the boards to survive in the NBA. Jim Ross of the NWA had been pressuring the group to sign the guy and try and market him as the new and much taller version of Andre the Giant. Gonzalez was actually signed nearly two months back, but has been kept hush-hush because the NWA feared the embarrassment in case the guy never progressed to where he even wrestles. And those close to the organization are said to be pretty unhappy. The story leaked out at this point. Gonzalez was signed to a three-year contract here in 1989. Of course, he won't make his debut until 1990, and he will end up leaving after that contract ends in 92. Bill Watts certainly isn't going to renew it. Uh, he's training in Florida right now under Hiro Matsuda. I don't know if Matsuda wants to claim that. May also be doing some training in Virginia with Luthez. Can you imagine this guy training with Hiro Matsuda and Luthez? The hope is that his debut could be a last-minute surprise at the NWA's February pay-per-view. Gonzalez, who was scheduled to wrestle under the name, here it comes for those who don't know, El Gigante, the future giant Gonzalez, is a definite crapshoot. Boy, that is an understatement. Yeah, uh, I know we get there. Uh, we don't get there. Obviously, we're not doing 90. Um, but I know Meltzer, just from reading things, is uh, really tries to sell it hard that this could work if it's done properly. Um, the mystique and everything of him fighting Flair for the belt and things like that. Uh, he really tries to sell it that it's it's a moneymaker uh, in, in, his, uh, <laughs> in his observers through 90 and 91. But... Obviously, it is not. It's just it's too hard to do anything when you're that big. You can't sell. Uh, you probably can't move very fast, and it just doesn't work. I mean, yeah, I think you're not you're not taking more, a lot of bumps. That's for sure. Your body yeah, can't handle I, I it, think, even even if you want to try. I yeah, mean, I think he if he was around during the territory system and was kind of passed around and just doing a you know a month or two here or there, it, it could have worked. But being exposed and being on TV every week with the same company and the same sort of people, that's not going to work. I, I, it's just not going to work. So I think that's his biggest issue. So not only have ratings been on the increase here in the last few weeks in the NWA, house shows are starting to come back, at least certain cities anyway. Demelts reports a couple of sellouts that he knows of over the last couple of weeks include Springfield, Missouri. On November 4th, sold 200, or excuse me, sold 2,800 tickets. And as expected, the November 12th card in Amarillo, headlined by Funk versus Flair, drew a sellout of 6,500 fans. The crowd booed Flair heavily and cheered Terry Funk. We've seen that before. Uh, Funk went up against Scott Hall uh, several weeks back here on the grenade. The NWA program in the Joe Petticino column mentions that Ron Simmons was one of the members of Doom, so they're leaking it. Into the magazine, of course, me and you have talked before. It's pretty obvious that one of them's Ron Simmons. Not because we already know this, but he was on TV up until Doom debuted, basically. So it's really hard to keep that one a secret. Even if those who can't figure out who Butch Reed is, 
I think even the most common fan who's just flipping around week to week figured this one out. Ron Simmons, one of the members of Doom. Yeah, Gary I wonder Hart- if I, I have on. a lot of those magazines, the wrap-ups. I'm wondering if, what if I have that one that they're referencing. I, don't, I wonder if it's uh, November. I have that one. I don't have October, unfortunate. Somebody does have October 89 NWA wrap-up. Let me know. I'll buy it off of you. I want it. It has the great mood on the cover. Um, so those listeners out there that may have it, hit me up or hit the grenade up and you guys can get in contact with me. Help Anybody me out Anybody looking here. to make a few bucks <laughs> off of a, a Great Muda, November 89 Wrestling Wrap-Up Magazine? October. I'm sorry, October 89 uh, yeah. NWA uh, Wrestling Wrap-Up Magazine. You can contact us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade or at WrestleCopia at gmail.com. And Steve, he'll buy it up right off of you. That's right. And we'll continue on as Gary Hart and Terry Funk got into an argument on TV. So perhaps Terry Funk will retire as a babyface. Demeltz believes impressed with these Starcade TV commercials is Demeltz, both with the content and with the fact that they've gotten them on TV so fast. I must say, I was really impressed also that we see Starcade commercials here early in November. So I got to agree with Meltzer there. He expects a hard sell for the tournament format starting next week on TV. That when he says next week here in this, these notes, it would be following the clash. Several cable companies reported a significant number of phone calls on Halloween night. That's October 31st for Halloween Havoc, which actually aired three days prior on October 28th. So the name did confuse some people into thinking the show was on the 31st, which I get. If you're the casual fan, I get it. You just, you're not really watching the program. You're flipping around. Oh, Halloween Havoc. Yeah, I'll get that. I'll get that when that airs. You're just, you just presume it's airing on Halloween. It's called Halloween Havoc. So I can see how that would throw yeah. a few people off. That's unfortunate, though. If they were smart, they would ran the replay on Halloween night. Yeah. You got, you got a good point. Unfortunately, they did not. And unfortunately, they probably <laughs> lost out on a good chunk of money, I'd have to imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. And upcoming, which I already mentioned, next week is our Clash of the Champions 9 New York Knockout Watch Along. The main event will be Ric Flair taking on Terry Funk. The slogan is, the feud began with a handshake, and it will end with a handshake. In the upcoming I Quit non-title match. It's going to be a fun one. As we get going with November 3rd, 1989 and the Power Hour, taped in Little Rock, Arkansas at the Barton Coliseum. Back on October 24th, that's prior to Halloween Havoc. It's noted that admission was free for this show with an ad featured in the local newspaper. Although I don't have any numbers here, so I'm not really sure what they did. Very intriguing, though. Free free, uh, free tickets. Not bad. To a TV Do- taping. It's not bad. Yeah. Dr. Death Steve Williams taking on Rude Dog. I remember Rude Dog <laughs> from uh, ESPN. Every once in a while, he'd make a stop through Dallas. Never really got a push, but I, I remember the name when I saw it. I was really shocked that we got a guy like this on the show. Teddy Long. Comes to the ringside during the match, taking notes on Dr. Death because the skyscrapers have issued a challenge to Doc. And we'll see a little bit more about that uh, here next week. Not on the grenade, but here on TV. Uh, Dr. Death takes the rude dog's head off with a nasty clothesline and an mm-hmm. Oklahoma stampede. First into the ring post, then down onto the floor, and back inside another Oklahoma stampede in the ring. Ends this thing three minutes, 33 seconds. Poor rude dog. Is Dr. Death looking good here this week? Yeah, I never, this is the first time we've seen Rude Dog, and right. I'm assuming it's the last time. Probably. Like you say, probably he's not around very long. So no. um, he got killed for his troubles with that clothesline. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, we're in Arkansas here, so yeah, we'll probably see a few of those uh, job, those Texas job guys, and, and things of that nature here before we're done in the city. It's time for ah, ah the WNN, but Gordon Soley is on location backstage following Halloween Havoc, going over some Halloween Havoc results. Nothing to discuss there that I that I noted anyway. I don't know if you have anything to mention about that as we we move on. Tag team champions, the Freebirds, defending against Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. And just one of a million dream matches this month. Very first dream match. And I wrote, how? How can they put this on first? This is your. This is what you're selling the entire month on. The Freebirds versus Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. Yeah, that's, no, that's not my dream. I don't know whose <laughs> dream this is, but uh, whew. not a good start to the November to remember dream match month. I think that's how they're selling it. Yes, so, um, right. Hopefully it gets better. The you only, only go good thing... Here. The only saving grace about this match is it's taped for pro. So we do have Bob Caudle and Lance Russell on commentary at the very least to save this just a little bit. But it doesn't save us from the arm bars. Tommy Rich locks on the arm bars early and often, followed by Ranger Ross, who comes in and does his own version of the rest hold. He grabs a hold of a headlock and works in on that. Lucky they have a hot crowd, I wrote. The crowd was really, really loud for this. Even the, the arm bars, the headlocks, Tommy Rich, the free. This is just a good crowd. They like their wrestling as the Freebirds take over with a shitty double spine buster on the wildfire. Several hope spots for Tommy Rich comebacks, but Rich, he can't tag out. He just can't make the tag. And I was really into the crowd noise here because Tommy's like selling and trying to get that hot tag and he can't get it. And the crowd's eating it up. This is just a really good crowd. Unfortunately, they waste their lungs on this match. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, Jimmy Gar. Yeah, it was. It's really unfortunate. You know, it's like they could have gave him something so much better, especially for a dream match, if you will. I I don't know. We go into the home stretch of the match. Jimmy Garvin telegraphs a backdrop and eats a Tommy Rich boot to the face. Finally, we get the hot tag to Ranger Ross, and Ross lands the combat kick on Jimmy Garvin, but misses a blind tag behind him to Michael Hayes, and so does Nick Patrick. But somehow Patrick lets it go. Nick Patrick's back is turned with Tommy Rich. While the blind tag is made, but when he turns around, Nick Patrick slaps his own hand as if he saw the tag, which he did not. Somehow he knows it happened, however, and Michael Hayes sneaks in, nails the DDT on Ranger Ross, and this match is over in 15 minutes and 44 seconds. Whew. Oh, my goodness. Lots of stalling to start, of course, uh, with the birds involved. I thought the end, I didn't even see the blind tag. I must have not have paid attention, that much attention. I didn't even see that there was a blind tag. I just thought Hayes came in and dropped him with the DDT and got the pin when he was the legal man. And I was like, what the hell's going on with this officiating? All year long, it felt like it was off. And uh, I thought this was just another one of those incidents where that was the case. But if you got the blind tag, then that makes sense. So um, No, it was actually kind of crisp. The, the, whole thing, the whole finish was kind of crisp outside of Nick Patrick missing the tag but allowing the tag. And not just allowing it, but acknowledging it as if he knows legally they've, they've made the tag because his back was turned. That was where my issue came in. What the Freebirds actually did here, it wasn't too bad. There was the blind tag, Garvin ate the combat kick, then Michael Hayes just <laughs> jumped in and nailed the DDT. Not that I'm defending the birds, mind you. Oh, no, I was just, I just didn't see it. So that makes, it was clean. I mean, I just didn't see the tag. So it happens. The fallout from how? Ha- yeah, well, <laughs> Nick Patrick's missing a whole lot of shit here in 89 and also on the Monday Warfare show in 96. So it's uh, yes. track records are very lengthy. It's time for Terry Funk's grill. 
and he brings Ric Flair on via satellite. Of course, this is the fallout from Halloween Havoc when Flair and Sting beat Funk and Muda in the Thunderdome. Funk uses a joke to tell Ric Flair to quit while he was ahead and saying he didn't want Flair's family, belt, or the money, but rather simply his pride, and he would take that from him at the clash. Ric Flair reminds Terry Funk that he would have to shake Flair's hand if Flair won the match, with Funk saying he would never do that, basically implying that he cannot afford to lose this match. He refuses to lose this upcoming I Quit match at the Clash. We'll have more on that as the show continues. Uh, it's back to the ring with six-man tag team action. The SST teaming with Samoan Savage, accompanied the ring by Oliver Humperdinck, taking on the trio of Scott Hall, Dick Murdoch, and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. And the match gets going. It breaks down immediately. Eddie Gilbert wipes out all three Samoans with drop kicks, but turns into a Sam. They really utilize the thrust kick during this match on poor Eddie. Samu with the thrust kick here, and they get heat on Gilbert, and that's not the only time Samu thrust kicks him here, just in the opening minutes of the match. Eddie Gilbert was in for a whopping eight minutes without ever tagging out. Easy night for Scott Hall and Dick Murdoch, I must say. The Samoan Savage and Samu both miss elbow drops, which allows Gilbert to finally make the hot tag to big Scott Hall. The SST no-sell a double noggin knocker by Hall and double clothesline Scott to the ground. Fatu then kicks Hall's chin off, I wrote. So another thrust kick here. Is Fatu now getting in on the fun on Scott Hall? And then the SST and Savage take over on Scott Hall. They even nail the demolition-type maneuver. They, they hit one of those demolition decapitators off the top rope. Not as, not as sweet as the demos, but eh, they tried. Fatu with another thrust kick. On Scott Hall. That's at least four now in the single match. But Murdoch breaks up the count with an elbow drop, and the crowd goes nuts for one simple Dick Murdoch elbow drop. And you know why that is? We're in Watts country. Arkansas, baby. They've seen Dick Murdoch a time or two. And Dick Murdoch finally gets the big hot tag to take it home. A six-way melee. Big elbow from Murdoch to Samu's jaw, and the big elbow drop, baby, if you will, as Dickie Murdoch makes the cover, but Savage off the top rope with a headbutt to the back of Murdoch. Samu rolls on top. The Samoans pick up the win. 13 minutes, 41 seconds. Dickie does the job after seeing about, eh, a minute of action here in this 14-minute match. Even trade, huh? I'd say so. Yeah, I'll do the job, but I'll only work a minute. Sign me hey, up. So, hey, you young um, boys, you go out there and you do everything, and I'll, I'll lay down. I don't care. I'm getting paid either way. Right. Murdoch's yeah, been around the block. He, he don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, this is a pretty solid match. Uh, I, I love the, the Samoans. Uh, they're brutal. They're off, their offense is really good. Lots of thrust kicks like, kicks, like you said, in this one, but it doesn't matter. They can do 20 of them, and they still look good. And these guys sold actually pretty good. My biggest question was, how low is Eddie Gilbert going to fall before he's gone? Uh, yeah. Can't get much worse than this, but all in all, this was a pretty solid show from beginning to end. Lots of action. Even the Ranger Ross-Tommy Rich match was good just because of uh, the crowd. The crowd is was great here. And, yeah, the uh, crowd really can make a match, a and they're matches. really – you're right. I mean, the crowd can really make a show, and if you need proof, go watch this episode of TV. Oh yeah, they're they're hot for everything. Every little thing that the good guys did, they were all for it. I mean, you would think Tommy Rich is the most over guy on the roster if you watch this match. This felt like uh, classic Crockett country uh, when they were at their peak, when the crowd was just going to pop yeah. for anything the, the baby faces were doing. 
I mean, Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich got sound from the crowd like like the Rock and Roll Express, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, really, really good show. Really fun show for uh, the Power Hour here. I like this. Of the week. Yeah, and I'd like to say who the wrestler of the week is, but the video cuts out before we find out, so I'm not really sure there. As we move on Eddie to the Gilbert. next day, was it Eddie Gilbert? <laughs> I don't know. It cut <laughs> off from me, too. Well, but, uh... I don't know what Klondike Bill, I don't know. Now that woman's in there, I, I'm surprised she's not wrestler of the week every week. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, Jesus. Maybe the, the Samoans, because they've been kind of on a tag team kick lately. Uh, skyscrapers. I think the Steiner brothers were it a couple weeks ago. So I think uh, we'll just give it to the Samoans. How about that? Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. I, I don't I don't argue that at all. They're certainly making a comeback here. As uh, Jim Ross continuously right. points out, they're no longer on Wall Street. As he bashes Trolley a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll move on to Saturday in NWA Pro for November 4th. Again, Little Rock, Arkansas. So, again, a great crowd here as it was taped back on October 24th. Bob Cottle, Lance Russell. Once again, like last week we mentioned, they're separate. And this time, Bob Cottle's even in the studio while Lance Russell's in the crowd. So they're hosting the show together, but they're not together. It's really weird. It's a really weird dynamic the last couple weeks here on Pro. It's the Road Warriors head to the ring to take on the Blazer and the Louisiana Cajun. What a couple of names there. It really doesn't matter what their names are because it's the doomsday device on the Cajun ends this thing in 30 seconds. And I wrote, damn. Continue <laughs> on with Lex Luger and Brian Pillman. Number two, match two is announced for Clash of the Champions on November 15th. I couldn't be more excited. The first one was good, but I kind of remember the second one being even better, if I remember correctly. So it's going to be a lot of fun there when we call that next week on it's Clash of the Champions next week on the wrestling grenade pillman promo here he says lex is acdc that stands for arrogant conceited deceitful and cocky clever brian there's a new date for luger's travel plan and it's november 15th at the clash brian pillman looking for a second shot because he took lex to the limit at, at, at havoc yeah i think he deserves a rematch and uh uh, the, the the promos, like we've talked about, the puns and things like that, were pretty solid uh, about two weeks ago. They're kind of falling off here for me. This one was a, a little far-fetched, the ACDC thing. Um, yeah, it, it's starting to wear out its welcome. <laughs> we go on, and we don't see Dr. Death do a whole lot of squash matches on a single taping. But again, we're in Watts country, so we get some more Dr. Death here as he takes on Chuck Miller. Miller attacks Doc, but Doc nails him, eats a clothesline, does Miller, the same way Rude Dog did on the last show, and it's the Oklahoma Stampede as Williams picks up the win in only one minute and four seconds. And it's time for the NWA update. The video airs from last week's WCW, that World Championship Wrestling episode of the Midnight Express and Dynamic Dudes confrontation where they learn, where we learn they've signed a contract to meet one another at Clash of the Champions. Should be a doozy. Pre-tape promo from Gary Hart, Terry Funk, and the yet-to-be-named Dragon Master. Funk says that this guy here, the Dragon Master, mind you, Kendo Nagasaki, is the J in JTEX. Basically, at this point, they're calling him Mr. J. And he was sent as a present from Japan. So which is it, Terry? Was he sent as a present from JTEX? Or is he the J in JTEX, which you would think that means that he's part owner 
I don't really know here, but at this point, the Dragon Master is simply being called Mr. J. That'll change in a, a couple of weeks' time. Gary Hart says Ric Flair's title is in jeopardy. And if anyone tries to stop the inevitable, they're in a lot of trouble, too. Ric Flair and I have only one thing in common. And it's certainly not looks because I'm better looking than that banana nose pervert. It's certainly not brains because I'm a lot smarter than what he is. It's hatred. I loathe, detest, and despise Ric Flair. And I know in turn he does the same to me. And I thought to myself, how can I shame this man? Well, I know the most shameful thing that could ever happen to me would be to admit that he is a better man. Have to walk across the ring, say I quit, walk across that ring and shake his hand and say, Ric Flair, you're better than I am. I know what that would do to him to have to say that to me. That's why I want the I Quit match on national television, because I'm not going to lose my pride. I have to live with it. That was the pre-tape promo cut by Terry Funk later in the show. But what do you think of Terry Funk basically talking about pride there and uh, not no longer interested in the world title? He's sick of chasing the belt. He's just It's his personal now. He just wants to end Flair's life uh, once again. I don't have a problem with it. It made sense. We all know kind of what happens at the clash. So I could see why they went that direction. And to go to your point about the, um, like what Gary Hart was talking about. Right. I'm assuming even though the belt's not on the line, he's saying basically to me, and I could be wrong here, but the way I take that is he was, um, basically saying his title's going to be in jeopardy because Terry Funk's going to injure him to the point where he's going to have to be forced to say, I quit. And then one of his other guys, the man in black, Muda, whoever, is going to come in and pick up the scraps, so to speak. So he may it may not be in jeopardy in that match, but going forward, his title is going to be in jeopardy because Terry Funk's going to injure him to the point where he's going to quit. Uh, that's how I took it. But all in all, I mean, it sounds good right now because we're only on the second episode of TV. But by the time we get done with this week and get to the clash, I'm tired of hearing about pride and I'm tired of hearing these promos because you hear them. There's like three or four different ones uh, over the next two weeks. And uh, it's just basically them saying the same stuff over and over again. And they're doing a really hard sell of these matches for the clash. And it's basically all done by promos. Not a lot of angles. There's no more angles that need to be done to get to these matches. Uh, These are your feuds that you've had for months now. So you really can't do anything there. And so um, promos is it, and they kind of get repetitive by the time we're there. The show will continue with the Steiner brothers stepping in the ring against Ron Shepard and Chris Allen. And Scott Steiner out here with no singlet after rocking that cool singlet at Halloween Havoc. No worries, everyone. This was taped pre-Halloween Havoc, so Scotty will be back in a singlet in no time. The announcers are selling the Steiners now as championship material, and rightfully so. Scott Steiner with a Samoan drop off the middle rope on Shepard. And then the Steiners nail the old wrecking ball on Chris Allen. The wrecking ball, of course, when you throw your opponent up over your shoulder and your partner comes off the middle rope or top rope with a double axe handle. And they drop Chris Allen in Steiner line. And a belly-to-belly on Allen from Rick Steiner ends this in only a minute and 24 seconds. Very quick squash, and the Steiners make good use of their 90 seconds in the ring this week. Time for Pettacino Nose. As he says, the Road Warriors finally get another tag team title shot. Upcoming against the Freebirds at Clash of the Champions. It's been quite a while since the Roadies have had an opportunity after losing the belts all that many months ago 
to the Varsity Club. We get a pre-tape promo from the Road Warriors, and Paul Ellering Animal says, nothing was settled at Halloween Havoc with the Skies. It's basically the gist of all three guys' promo here, Animal, Hawk, and Ellering. Hawk says, if they thought the earthquake in San Francisco made buildings crumble, wait until the skyscrapers see what the roadies can do to them. Paul Ellering reiterates the feud will continue because the roadies want to prove they can win. They can beat these skyscrapers. Unfortunately, as you know, the feud doesn't really continue beyond, at least not in the Sid Vicious Dan Spivey against the Road Warriors anyway, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it definitely is because I, I would love to have seen where they were going to go with the. I know we got the the street fight at Wrestle War 90. Um, I don't know if that would have been the culmination of it or where they were going, but it really stinks Sid gets injured and uh, takes this from us, an extended feud between these four. Because uh, what a what a visual at, at the clash with those four in the ring together. It's just incredible. I would love to have seen more of it. Unfortunately, we don't. Yeah, and Hawk referencing the San Francisco earthquake that really brought me back in time when they mentioned simple things like that triggers things. I remember walking into the kitchen and seeing that all over the news, the uh, the damage that that particular earthquake did, tore down bridges and, and things like that uh, on the highway. It was very devastating. So Hawk probably wouldn't wouldn't let that, that that promo probably wouldn't fly in today's world as we continue on teddy long agrees with paul ellering nothing was settled and these skyscrapers are still looking to finish off the road warriors long says he sees the fear in the road warriors eyes if paul ellering gets in the way teddy long will take him out himself well i'd like to see that and thank god we don't really have to though that's a pretty pretty weak match if i remember correctly again uh, that doesn't happen until 1990 either Lucky for us. And did you see Sid here rocking the baseball hat? Just absolutely ridiculous. This big badass guy wearing a baseball cap backwards during this promo. Softball Sid, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I did. I thought he looked cool. I don't. I didn't have anything wrong with it, but it was. You're a monster. It just. I don't know. It just takes me out of my element. It's like that's what I expect Sid to look like after a show, not during a show. You know, I don't want my Sid vicious. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. That makes sense. That makes sense. I see where you're coming from there. And this is where we get the pre-tape promo with Terry Funk that I just played. Obviously, we already talked about it. He's just looking to take Ric Flair's pride back to the ring. Sting taking on good old Alex Porto. And Sting no-sells Porto's shoulder block as Sting gets steps up on the apron to get to the ring. So Porto tries for an attack, runs his shoulder into Sting's gut repeatedly, and Sting just stands there no-selling it before he just walks into the ring. Stinger splash, Scorpion Deathlock ends this. Two minutes and 13 seconds. And then we heard from Terry Funk just a moment ago. Now we'll hear Ric Flair's side of their match for Clash of the Champions. Think about this, Terry Funk. The match you signed, I've walked into the trap. You said you've set nationwide. You want Ric Flair to walk that aisle and say I quit. Well, Funk, you're back. We rode that road together. You were the champion of the world. I looked at you and I said, you think someday I'll have what it takes, Terry Funk, to be the world champion. You said, kid, you got what it takes now. Well, those words have never left this mind of mine, pal, because when I set my sights on being the world champion, I walked the aisle and I became the world champion. You know the feeling, I know the feeling. One feeling we don't know is how to say, I quit. That doesn't exist in my vocabulary, but I'm betting that in Troy, New York, November 15th, 
You holler! I quit! Gotta take! Woo! All right, and here, let's pretend like they don't cut another promo up until the clash, just for a minute. I thought that these <laughs> these these 60-second pro they both, both were given one minute to cut a promo on the match. I thought these were, they did everything they needed to do to sell them. I mean, as you said, the feud's been going on six months. They've done told the story, all the angles. You can't throw another angle in here. It's, it's overkill. All you need to do is cut a promo to sell the match at Clash of the Channel. I know you have two weeks to do this, so you have to keep promoting it. You can't just cut a promo this yeah. week and forget about it. I get that. But I thought they did, I thought these 60 second promos this week was really all they needed as far as they, they, they accomplished everything they needed to do in these, these quick one minute promos here. Yeah, I agree with you. I just, I, these, these shows aren't intended to be watching like succession <laughs> in a five hour window. You know, it's, yeah. uh, there's breaks in between and you may have not seen one of them. So I, I get what they're doing. And this is, this, these are the best ones. I, I think, um, I love the story that Ric Flair just told us about when he was a youngster in the business. Terry right, Funk yeah. told him he has what it takes right now to be champion. And Flair basically said, I, I still remember that. And I went out and did it and I'm the champion now. That's the, that's the person that Terry Funk's going to have to deal with. And Ric Flair is just reminding him here. And so, uh, I don't mind this. These two were the best two. I, I feel like, um, because it was the first time you heard them by the end of this show. Like I said, you, you hear it six more times and it's like, uh, Pride, and then you get to clash, and you hear it again in the interviews there. So, prize is the selling point. Everybody can relate to pride. Everybody has some. Uh, some have more than others. And um, these two, they're, they're they don't care about the belt right now. It's all about pride, and that's what they want to take from each other. So, it just adds another layer of intensity and reasoning to want to win this match for both guys. So. And if you didn't know by now, there is a match at Clash of the Champions, a I Quit match, by the way, with Ric Flair and Terry Funk. <laughs> Joe Pettacino confirms here on Pettacino Knows. It is non-title, do not forget. It's a match number five on the show this week is the tag team champion Freebirds over Tommy Rich and Ranger Ross. We've already seen that on the Power Hour, of course. The Birds will retain the title here. Hayes with the DDT on Ranger Ross gets the win. As we move on to Worldwide for November 4th, tape back on October 23rd, in Jackson, Mississippi, so we're still in Watts country here at the fairgrounds. It's Chris Cruz hosting the show with Jim Ross on commentary along with Cruz. We get a repeat Pettacino nose from Pro. Opening promos from Brian Pillman and Eddie Gilbert about the elimination match upcoming for $5,000 later in the show. Pre-tape promo from the Steiner brothers as well. Doom would learn not to mess with the Steiners says Rick and Scott. And then we get a Doom promo and a rebuttal. Jim Ross interviews Woman and Kevin Sullivan. So clearly this was taped before Halloween Havoc. Doom walks in and they receive their payment from Woman for Halloween Havoc. So even though this is recorded before Halloween Havoc, they're selling it like it happened after Halloween Havoc. Woman pays Doom off for their big win at the pay-per-view as Kevin Sullivan promises Woman they, that Doom will never lose and they will take out the Steiners before it's all over, said, and done. To the ring, it's Doom with Woman and Kevin Sullivan over the team of Ron Shepard and the Raider. U.S. champion Lex Luger defeats, uh, well, hell, Jackson, Mississippi staple, Mid-South staple, even wrestled a, time, a bit of time in Memphis, King Cobra. Lex Luger picks up the win with a simple, well, it's never simple with Lex Luger. The clothesline gets the win in a minute and 56 seconds. TV champion, the great Muda, Coming to the ring by Gary Hart and Mr. J 
over the Louisiana Cajun with the Muda Lock, now rocking that Muda Lock we saw at Halloween Havoc, that reverse Indian Deathlock into the bridge and the crossface. Promo time with the fabulous Freebirds. They question, can any team beat them? Well, I tell the Freebirds, well, you asked for it. As we head back to the ring for big time match, what'd you think of this? A four-man elimination match for 5000 What a random amount of money. What a random match. What a random bunch of guys to do this with. I would have liked to have seen this more often, or maybe not necessarily a weekly thing that would have been overkill, but just out of nowhere. If, uh, you know, if this was Ric Flair's idea, pretty cool. But, you know, you have to wonder if this is Cornette, was this Sullivan? As we get Brian Pillman, the Cuban assassin, hot stuff Eddie Gilbert, and Wild Bill Irwin out there for a four-man elimination match. And I know you watched this probably on, on the main event, or I, I think this aired on something else. So you saw this match, right? Yeah, I seen this one. I, I liked it. It was pretty good. It was different. It was way unique for the time. You didn't get these multi man matches uh, very often. Definitely not when it came to in NWA or WWF at the time. So uh, I was like, this is interesting. And then I was the first thing I thought of. Man, I wish it was better guys in the ring. Right. Uh, Pillman and Eddie Gilbert are good, but uh, the Cuban and Bill Irwin, not so much. But they did a good job. I thought all in all, this is a very very fun match. Pillman looked excellent. Eddie Gilbert did a good job of subtle heel turn type deal um, right. when he got in the ring. And then even the Cuban and Bill Irwin didn't offend anybody. Um, but I like your idea here of maybe a monthly thing and whoever wins the first one. I know they do that. Um, what if they the did something like every week they have a match or every week they have two matches where you, if you win, you get in. And then yeah. after every, maybe every three weeks, you have have this four-way or, or whatever. That, I think that would have worked. And then the winner uh, automatically gets to defend their title or whatever. Not necessarily a title, but just defend their win from the prior month or whatever. That way you only need three matches, and then you already got that's your, fourth, your four guys. So I think uh, they had something. And I, I like the idea. I, know, I don't remember when it pops up. It's either 90 or 91 where they have the uh, – you got to win on Power Hour, then you go to the the morning show, and oh then yeah, you go that to was Saturday that was the, the fall the of nineteen ninety. Yeah, Ugh. I I like that idea because uh, it makes you one have to tune into each show to see if he continues on, and two, it was different. Um, I I like the idea. I thought that that um, the, the delivery wasn't yeah the execution wasn't so good, and that's proved proven when it, I think it ran for about three weeks or so before they put the kibosh on that. Yeah, it kind of stinks. It's a great idea, and it really ties all your shows together. Um, the problem is it's the NWA, and they probably have no idea what the hell they're recording or filming or putting out at any yeah, given time. Right? So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, shit, we forgot to record the ma- the second match. <laughs> we only have one in three here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good call there. So we're back to this four-man elimination match. It's Pillman, the Cuban, Bill Irwin, and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Listen to the eliminations here and tell me who they're putting over. Brian Pillman pins the Cuban in seven minutes and eight seconds with Air Pillman. Brian Pillman pins Wild Bill Irwin in 11 minutes and 46 seconds after countering Irwin's superplex and falling on top. Brian Pillman pins hot stuff Eddie Gilbert with a crucifix roll-up after the two crack heads and Eddie Gilbert lands on top of Pillman. Pillman rolls him back, cradles him up, and gets the win in 12 minutes and 55 seconds. Whole thing went about 13 minutes, and it wasn't really offensive. This is honestly a good way to kick off a house show or kick off a pay-per-view with guys like Zank and stuff like that because there's too much action to really 
really notice, you know, some of these guys like like the Cuban or a Bill Irwin here. Brian Pillman, though, beats everyone in the match. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, Eddie did a great job of he just hung out on the apron and let Pillman take care of the two jobbers, really, and do all the work and tire himself out. Then Eddie was just going to come in, and I think he comes in and decks him with the right hand almost immediately and tries to get the win uh, because he felt Pillman was tired. So they told a great story, and it was a it was a pretty fun match. Yeah, I, I wish we'd, like I said, I wish we'd see more of this. I, I almost wonder if this was a Cornette booking idea simply because Watts did have a few of these tag team matches. Oh, man, you should have seen the teams involved, too. Oh, my God. Talk about salivation. Back, I think, during that era when Cornette was there in the Mid-South. So maybe this is something Cornette came up with. Hey, you know what we used to do here every once in a blue moon that really got over? I mean, you're talking Road Warriors and Midnight's. Oh, my God, those matches. And those are out there on those uh, handhelds, those house shows. So uh, if you guys don't have any of those, I mean, go find them. Check them out. They're, they're really fun. Promo time with Terry Funk again. He will still have his pride. That word pride is going to be driven to the ground here for the next two weeks after Clash of the Champions. Back to the ring with world champion Ric Flair. An easy win with the figure four over the Raider in a minute and 34 seconds. And promo time. Chris Cruz interviews Gary Hart and Mr. J. Once again, we learn he is a gift from Japan. And he will be ringside from now on. And he will repay America for Hiroshima bombings. Jeez, man. Are, are you serious here? <laughs> Going into 1990. Still? <laughs> you know, you got to think there's probably still people that feel that way. I'm not going to argue that. But let's look at Mr. J here for a moment, okay? He's gangsta, right? I mean, this dude's in a, like a friggin' uh, old-timey he's gangster in outfit. He's, he's yeah. yeah, he's Yakuza, clearly. Or Yakuza, if you will. But he's definitely ma- he's Japanese mafia, right? I mean, maybe maybe they don't want them to say yakuza because you know they'll they'll get uh, hung or whatever the hell they do to people over there. I, I don't even want to know. Be around much? No, longer. right. So <laughs> so this guy, you think that guy's really looking for revenge? I don't think so. This guy is not, you know, and and it, supposedly he's part of the JTEX Corporation. On top of that, which is all about business. So seems like a Gary Hart spin on things here. What a ridiculous thing to say. It's almost like Gary Hart's regressed here. At the end of 89, going back to early 89, Gary Hart, as we close out the show yeah. with that promo. He reminds me of Odd Job from the Bond movie. <laughs> a much um, slimmer Odd Job, yeah. It's honestly the yeah. best Kendo Nagasaki has looked maybe ever as far as looks go. Uh, they got, you know, <laughs> yeah, he basically had the Hulk Hogan hairdo with black hair, and he, he looked, his body didn't look so good, and he really wasn't much, much to watch in the ring either, by, definitely by the late 80s especially. I think he works Hacksaw Jim Duggan on one of those um, uh, world tours, if I remember correctly, in the WWF Coliseum video. For those who don't follow Japan wrestling or some of the stuff Kendo did in the territories, you can if you're a Coliseum video collector, you can even go find him there. And ooh, that was that was not a fun match. That was not pretty. <laughs> that has to be ninety or ninety one. Um, yeah, yeah, it's one of the. I think I know what you're talking about. It's it's not pretty. As we move on not. to the. 605. Actually, I think this one airs at 550 again, if I'm not mistaken, but I can't can't confirm that right now. I don't have it in my notes. World Championship Wrestling, though, for Saturday night, taped back on October 17th, way before Halloween Havoc at the Marietta Cobb County Civic Center for November 4th, the night of November 4th. It's Jim Ross and Jim Cornette hosting the show to the ring, and it's Sting over poor Gene Ligon. I still feel bad for Ligon, who ate it good from Lex Luger there 
a week or two back on TV. Stinger Splash and Scorpion ends this one three minutes and nine seconds. Action continues with the Road Warriors. Over Rick Connors and Jake Steele, we get an insert promo from the Roadies. They are bitter, and they're coming for the Freebirds now. They're going to make the Freebirds pay. The Roadies looking to regain the World Tag Team titles, which I find amusing because, like I said, the, the Steiners are already champions, technically speaking. The Roadies attack the job guys, and the announcers selling the Clash as a title match. At this point, anyway, assisted power slam off the middle rope. Animal gets the win on Steel in a minute and 21 seconds. Yeah, I thought this was great. The Ellering promo, he said, yeah, we're bitter because most medicines are. Right. Uh, I thought that was a great line. But yeah, really nothing to write home about. That power slam off the middle rope is really good. Other than that, not a lot going on here. Time for lay, play, and parlay with a pre-tape promo. And Teddy Long, Long said he paid a lot of money for this promo time. And he did it just to tell the fans to stop bringing bears to Norman, or he will snatch them. This is almost like the whole don't call me peanut head all over again, Teddy Long using that reverse psychology here to get the fans to bring teddy bears to the arenas. And we go from the promo to the ring with Norman, accompanied by Teddy Long, taking on Rusty Riddle. And yes, Norman receives another teddy bear. Norman winds up tying Rusty Riddle in the ropes, puts his legs over the ropes, kind of what Goldust used to do. When he trapped the mm-hmm. guy in the corner and, and delivered the old whatever the hell he called when he kicked him in the nuts. I can't he had a name for it. I can't remember. Shattered Dreams. Shattered Dreams. There you go. Only Norman delivers completely shattered dreams as it's a Karachi crunch with Riddle tied up, and Norman gets the win in three minutes and forty five seconds as Long continues to destroy the teddy bears. I watched a uh, episode of Superstars ninety four on the network, and I did not realize how big uh Norman got. By the time he became Bastion Booger, oh, yeah. I did not realize. Holy shit! He like doubled in size. Yeah, he takes he <laughs> takes the blame for uh, he takes the blame for letting Vince down. Um, says he came in completely out of shape. Obviously, much more out of shape yeah. than Norman. So he was unable to do a lot of the things that I guess Vince had seen him able to do on tape yeah. and things like that. So yeah, that's yeah. why the whole. Whole thing never really went oh, very far. Not that a character like Bastion Booger is going to go too far. No, but I think Joy Norman, well, you can't even think Norman's bad. <laughs> right. He's a million times worse as, as Bastion Booger. So um, I'll take this all day. The gimmick may be stupid, but he can still work in the ring. To me, anyway, I, I enjoy his work. I don't, I don't care for the gimmick, but I really like watching him do Smash his thing him. in the ring. <laughs> He's very entertaining. It's dream match time, so we get two dream matches in the first week here of November, and wouldn't you know it, Ranger Ross in his second dream match, taking on the Cuban Assassin in a flag match, Steve. This is a dream match. I don't know who dreamed it up. More like a nightmare, if you ask me. Loser salutes the flag here in this flag match as the Cuban jumps the Ranger. It's back and forth for about five minutes when, air quotes, a fan attacks both men, lays them both out with the stroke. First, the stroke on Ranger Ross to get over that, well, he's a heel. But then, you know what? This guy, he lays out the Cuban as well. So now he's just a badass heel. And the best way I can describe him is he's a pretty jacked up looking dude. Uh, He's got that Tenzon haircut, for lack of a better term. Uh, You don't see that haircut very often. That's the best way I can describe it. He's a blonde guy, and he's a jacked up uh, white gentleman. And uh, I won't say you know him better, as the brother of, but he is the brother of Road Warrior Animal and Johnny Ace. So all three Laurinaitis brothers in the NWA, at least for one week here, 
as this guy makes his <laughs> debut. You'll know him as the Terminator. Later on, he'll go on to be one half of the Wrecking Crew, Rage and Fury there during the Watts era when he teamed with Al Green. Something different for the time, having a guy run in, attack people, lay him out like that. We've never seen him before. That feels very, very Cornette and Sullivan-y. So this really fits perfectly here, given who's booking the TV. But it's weird positioning of all matches on the card. It's your dream match, and it's a flag match. So there's a stipulation involved involving America, American Flag and Ranger Ross. And this guy does the run in and lays them both out. Why can't this just be like a Tommy Rich squash? Let's get the guy come in there and lay out Tommy Rich. Lay out Lee Scott. Lee Scott will take a good bump for you. Instead, it just seemed like weird positioning for his debut. Yeah, I agree. You're basically killing your dream match idea already, and we're in the first week of uh, November. But other than that, like I was, uh, I think I reached out to you. I was like, man, who the hell is this guy doing the stroke before it's cool and things like that? Now, let's I be fair. He, he stole that from Dennis Condry. I, again, I wonder if Cornette gave him that as well possible um but he looked great i thought rocking the zubas he, he looks like oh he's got to put over his <laughs> got to put over his brother's company that's right <laughs> man I, I love zubas um but anyway that's not the point here the point is um i liked it and the delivery was excellent and i thought he did a good job but the match was the wrong match but i guess if you're going for it this does make sense in the sense that both of these guys do kind of have name value a little bit. Yeah. Ranger Ross does for sure. But in the Cuban, he's been with Ron Simmons and Iron Sheik a little bit this year. He's not just your run-of-the-mill jobber uh, like a Lee Scott or something like that. So right. I, I get why they did, chose this one. But, man, <laughs> if this is your dream matches, you're starting off terrible. Yeah, I don't Ranger like that. It, I don't like that. It, I don't like, first of all, I hate the fact that these are your initial dream matches. You can get away with this later on in the month after you've given us big time ones, but not a good way to kick off. But now you're teaching everyone the very first weekend of dream matches that they don't necessarily have to have finishes. So now I don't even know that I'm interested, you know, for next week or in two weeks, what we're going to have, because it's very obvious that potentially there's going to be a DQ or a count out, which could be obvious anyway, but you're already giving that away here as a guy runs in and there's not even a finish whatsoever. Yeah. And then they... They don't even really talk about it the rest of the night. I know Jim Ross is like, I know you guys are wondering why we're not talking about the guy who just showed up, but we don't know who he is. We don't know anything about him. And then right. that's kind of all you hear about it. And so they really didn't even put it over or somebody tried it, to me. Like it would have been completely different for 89, but somebody like a, a backstage interviewer or something like that, try to catch him walking up. There, hey man, who are you? What are you doing? What are you doing here? And just give him a little bit like of just maybe pushing him away or something like that, just to add to it, just to overemphasize it. But they didn't really do anything. They didn't capitalize on it or do anything with it. And um, dude just comes and goes. And I know I watched the next week of WCW because we're about to talk about it, and uh, you don't hear from him. You don't see him. Right. So yeah, No follow-up whatsoever, and uh, at least not immediately. And that's stupid. Kind of like the reason this match was thrown together. They had that little angle from maybe a month ago between Ross and the Cuban, and then you give us the flag match a month later. Like, everybody already forgot about it. Nobody cares at this point. So, bad. I, I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah, it just seems like poor structure, uh, taping-wise, yeah. I guess. No continuity. I mean, the continuity's there, but it's not for some It's too separate. Things. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. And it's agreed. not like they're recording, what, six weeks in a row? I do I think do this one. I think wrong. this one was like three weeks. So this is like the longest taping they've ever done for Center Stage. I think, I think because okay. they recorded. Uh, well, no, this one was recorded before Havoc. I think. So yeah, this is a different taping. So yeah, I agree with yeah, you. So, 
they, they would have still known on their November 1st taping to have put him on in the first of two tapings, and they didn't. So, bad call there. As we continue on with this show, it's promo time by your boy Lex Luger. Luger tells Pillman up until Halloween Havoc, all flying Brian had was victory and success. He says it was a bitter pill to swallow for Brian when he lost the match. More bitter medicine here. A lot of that talk going on this week. Lex Luger is an unbeatable force, and the contract is open. He tells Pillman to go for it again. Very cocky heel here, Lex Luger. I've already beat you. I know I can beat you now. Go ahead, sign it again. I can't lose. I don't know that I've ever seen a heel this cocky. I don't recall. I mean, that's a hell of a line, to be honest with you. This is where I started to realize it's really, really promo heavy. Uh, and I get it. Like I said, they only had two weeks to get to the clash. So lots and lots of promos. And I, I don't mind it. Everybody's been on their A game uh, as far as promos go initially for this first week anyway. Richard Sartain takes on Flying Brian. Sartain's all over this Brian Pillman and Lex Luger feud. Uh, <laughs> in, inadvertently, I'm sure. But here he is again. This time he's taking on Flying Brian. We get an insert promo from Pillman during the match. He says it's not over. It's only begun. He wants the rematch with Lex Luger at the Clash. Sartain makes some brief offense here against Pillman. He goes to the top rope but gets drop kicked off all the way to the floor. Great spot as Pillman catches Sartain climbing to the top rope. Pillman ends the match with a missile dropkick in the ring. Gets the win in a minute and 31 seconds as we go to a promo by woman. I wrote, holy yes. The lingerie and gloves here. Yes, please. All day long. Woman says Kevin Sullivan has done his job quite well, as have Doom. Money can buy her anything. Brian Pillman, Sting, maybe even world champion Ric Flair. A little foreshadowing there. She likes that idea, Steve. Flair has money, but she can offer him more than money. Think about that for a minute. She can offer the Nature Boy more than money. And uh, she says, yeah, that's a good idea, don't you think? I think I would have made her uh, cut the promo again and say idea. I'm not a big fan of people that say idea, but it really stuck out here with women saying it. Very, very, uh, I don't know if she picked that up from Kevin Sullivan or what the idea here was. But it really stuck out. <laughs> it, re- it really came off really, I don't know, like off-putting. Kind of turned me off. <laughs> I didn't even really pick up on it. Uh, maybe I was infatuated with watching woman talk. Oh, my God. She's but, um, outdone herself with what ooh. she's wearing here. I'll tell you that. But I'm. it was just so – It. she said it so prominently, too. Like, she pronounced it so – like, you couldn't – like, did she say that? I didn't even have to question it. She just says, that's a good idea, don't you think? It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? is going on here. I don't know, man. And I know we're going to get shit from people that actually say it that way in certain areas of the United States, but it's just, you're, I don't know, man. You're going to eat that shit. Huh? Uh, not me. You're going to eat that shit, not well, me. I'm not, I'm not trashing it. Well, <laughs> no, it just sticks good. out here um, on one, with woman saying it. It just really, really stuck. I just, if, if Kevin Sullivan said it, I wouldn't even pay attention twice. It just seemed weird here with, with it just didn't picture woman saying that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a woman say it like that, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's different for sure. It's kind of like my dad. He says Washington, uh, like an R's in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, but it's yeah that's, not, uh, that's more Southern talk. I, my grandparents absolutely put an R in a lot of things like that. They also, yeah, they also but, uh, wash their clothes or wash the car. Yeah, um, so I, I, I do like this. I mean, because 
again, we didn't have a lot of female managers that were in a prominent role like this. Miss Elizabeth and Sherry were kind of secondary. Right. Uh, whereas woman here is the forefront of her team and her guys. And so she's playing it up like, yeah, anybody can offer anyone money, but I got more than that. Don't you think? And, um, she absolutely does. I'm not saying she's putting herself out there with sex and things like that. That's what she's insinuating. And that's what she's implying. So I'm not putting, I'm not putting anything out there that she's not selling. No, um, you're, you're fine. So I think that's the gimmick. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's definitely unique and different, and um, it sets her apart from other female managers at the time because she's taking it to the next level and uh, of what you can be as a woman manager. And after those first couple promos, man, she's really, really, outside of the idea part, she's really starting to come into her own and delivering these promos with conviction. And um, I think it's easier for her to actually talk about what her men have done already now compared to what they're going to do. Uh, Cause it's easier once they've been shown and you can basically speak to what they're seeing. I think it's made it easier for her. She's doing an excellent job. She's, yeah, of, she's of, damn good at this role. Of, of course, this was recorded before Halloween havoc. So that's why she's got Kevin Sullivan name dropping him all over this promo as well. As we know by now, he's been pulled from the whole gimmick and yeah. I agree with you, man. Uh, this is definitely a completely different, perspective on how a woman can be part of a, a faction or, or really a manager, whatever you want to call her uh, compared to anything else we've seen in the past. I think Missy Hyatt could have pulled this off back in the day, part of that hot stuff and Hyatt international and whatnot. But the issue was Bill Watts, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, it kind of, I, well, I, I'll just straight up say uh, probably a sexist, I guess is the best way to, <laughs> you would imagine <laughs> old school Bill Watts. He's not letting no woman run no show here. In fact, he, uh, yeah. Had no problem giving Missy to Vince back in 87 when she uh, was supposed to go up there and start doing Missy's Manor. He said, I ain't got nothing else for her. Like, how can you not have something for Missy Hyatt? Well, I should be asking that here in 89 as well as we move along yeah. with the show. And the guys Missy used to manage is the Steiner Brothers taking on Agent Steel and Scrap Iron Bill Ford. Of course, this is taped pre-Havoc, so Scotty's still in the yellow trunks again. Rick Steiner rocking a new Bulldog tattoo. So if you ever wondered when Scotty or Rick got the tattoo, it's right about now. Scott almost falls out of the ring again as he bounces off the rope. Did you see it this time, Steve? Oh, yeah, I did see it. He smacked his head on that rope. Yeah. It so this is the nasty. second time Scott uh, Steiner has shot himself off the rope so hard that his head actually dips under the rope. And he almost fought. Last time he fell out completely out of the ring. This time, at least, he caught himself between the ropes instead of taking the full bump. As the match goes on, Rick Steiner with a German, and he throws Poor Bill Ford across the ring. And it's Frankensteiner time on Bill Ford. And the rolling belly to belly by Scott Steiner gets the win in a minute and 21 seconds. The matches are much faster lately. I'm sure you approve. Yeah, I definitely approve. I mean, these Steiner brothers are just brutal. Oh, oh my God. They found their calling at this point. I think they've found the. Uh, oh, my you know, God. All it took was Scott. Yeah, those sound so silly. But once Scott got that singlet at Halloween Havoc, I think that was the final missing piece. They just looked like a. Like a tandem. Even though they're already brothers, they really look just look the part. They fit the, the bill. Mm-hmm. A guy, Scott Steiner's shape, doesn't need a singlet. A trunk seem, you know, no, it just it just enhances his look, though, for some reason. Uh, I thought, yeah, anyway. I think that he, I just think he looks bigger with the singlet on for whatever reason. Like the trunks, I don't know, but he looks way better in a singlet. I'm not judging anybody here, but it just fit. Like, I, I'm with you, man. That was the final piece. It all came together. And at that point, 
they looked like a million bucks. They were definitely championship material. Like kind of like how they've been being pushed on the commentary. The only thing that holds them back is their promos, and it's unfortunate they didn't really have anybody. Right, I don't, Missy. Missy, I don't. At this point, Missy, I think I'm not. I'm not happy that she's gone. I'm just glad she's not necessarily with the Steiners uh, because she was just eye candy for them, and they don't need anybody like that. They need a mouthpiece that can right. go out there and talk. That's for why them. it's unfortunate they yanked Eddie Gilbert from them because that's what got the Rick Steiner promos going so well earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Was Eddie did most of the talking, Rick did his lines or his goofiness. He wore sunglasses or. Put his ear, yeah. you know, ear gimmicks on sideways, you know, and said a few funny, funny lines. And Eddie Gilbert did all the talking for the team. And now, now you got Scott Steiner who kind of <laughs> cuts a worse promo than Rick, which is scary. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine if they had somebody like a Paul Ellering, not somebody like a Teddy Long or something like that, or a Paul Heyman who's really an, a gimmick in their set in themselves. But Paul Ellering, just that straight shooter that could talk about how badass these dudes are. And yeah. get them over even more. Uh, the roadies don't really need anybody to talk for them, but Ellering just fits perfect like a glove. So if somebody, if they had somebody like that, it would have been nice. But either way, I don't give a shit what they say. I just want to see him get in the ring, and yeah. I can't wait to talk about the other match that they have. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's, it's like Halloween Havoc. It's coming. Promo time. <laughs> Jim Ross with Terry Funk. Everyone thinks Funk let JTEX down. The NWA isn't big enough for Flair and Funk, says the Funker. Terry admits that Ric Flair is as tough an opponent as he's ever wrestled. And this match at the Clash will be their final match ever. Funk promises to shake the hand of Ric Flair if Ric Flair can beat him. But in return, Ric Flair must shake his hand if the Funker gets the win. Back to the ring. I just put over how quick the matches were going, and then we get a Z-Man match. (laughs) Taking on Pat Rose, and this is post- Halloween Havoc, 89. As the Z-Man continues to pick up victories here with the sleeper, or as JR wants to call it again this week, the Z-Lock, as in Z, and I'm falling asleep watching this, five minutes and nine seconds for the Z-Man to put on a sleeper hold. Less said about that match, the better. So we move on with Jim Ross interviewing the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. The final chapter says Ric Flair is at Clash of the Champions 9 in Troy, New York. Funk said he would shake Flair's hand. Will Ric Flair do the same? Flair says the last time he shook Terry's hand, he spent a week in the hospital and two and a half months out of the sport. Good point there, Nate. Terry has put his manhood on the line. Ric Flair agrees to shake the Funker's hand if Terry can beat the Nature Boy. Another good little promo there. Uh, but like, like, you know, like you pointed out, they do beat it to death over the next two weeks, but... You need to get this on World Championship Wrestling. You need that big interview for everyone to see on TBS. Yeah, I agree. The promos are what they are. I think the biggest issue that I had was just watching them so close in succession. Uh, if I only seen one or two of them over a two-week period, I'm I'm like, man, I can't wait to see this match. Seeing all five of them or six of them, however <laughs> many there is. I mean, we got two funk promos on the 11-4 Pro Show. Right, so yeah. um, I would have liked to see maybe some more Luger and Pillman promos, maybe some more roadies and skyscrapers a little bit on on the syndication and power hour, but it is what it is. The money match on that card is Flair and Funk, so you got to get them on as much as possible. I'm cool with it. Lots of Dr. Death this week. Dr. Death in the ring here in center stage, taking on your buddy, Mark Kyle. Killer Kyle jumps Dr. Death to begin as we get Teddy Long joining commentary. Long says Dr. Death is crazy. He's insane. 
He scares Teddy Long. But Teddy Long agrees to a match as Dr. Death said he'd take on a skyscraper anytime, anyplace. So next week, one of the dream matches, Dr. Death versus Sid Vicious. Oh, man. As back in the ring, that is a dream match. See, now why not start with that and then throw us the flag match next week? You see, that would have made a little little better (laughs) sense for me anyway. As in Oklahoma, Stampede makes Killer Kyle into Killed Kyle. Dr. Death picks up the win here, 3 minutes and 11 seconds. Your boy Killer Kyle needs some bigger trunks. I am not a fan of Killer Kyle. Do not call him my boy. <laughs> I, I liked him in Smoky Mountain, but yeah, he was uh, initially. He was one of the guys that were a head-scratcher to me. I thought he was fine. Like I, don't, I didn't think he was bad, but I never liked him. I never was, oh, it's a Killer Kyle match. or yeah, I never. It was like a Z-Man to me, an 89 Z-Man anyway. It was like, I don't really need to see this. I never understood I the my push. Biggest, my biggest thing is I love gangster movies and gangsters are just in general. So the fact that he was playing a gangster and I love the, uh, the Tommy gun, uh, case that he brought out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Cornette tried to give him the old big Bubba gimmick, even gave him the old, uh, the music. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's what it was. It could have been anybody in that gimmick, to be honest with you. And I would have enjoyed it, but, um, even Tommy rich J- Cornette. Well, Tommy rich isn't believable. As far as the gangster goes, if they look the part like Kendo Nagasaki, he looks the part to me. Um, okay. I'm I'm here for it. Stereotypical part, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I just say he looks he looks like a gangster. He I'm not arguing. Like he does look. He looks like a trimmed down <laughs> odd job. I'm not arguing that. Yeah, so I mean, it could be anybody as long as they look the part. Tommy Rich does not look like a gangster at all, unless he's in a. What is Tommy Rich? Is he Irish? Tommy Rich? I don't know what Tommy Rich's background is. I, I haven't done a DNA uh, test lately. Maybe, with maybe an Irish mob. or <laughs> I don't know if I want to go near Tommy Rich's blood, to be honest with you, to check check his DNA. A little scary. Let's check his Ancestry.com, yeah. huh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Show goes on with Doom, and of course this is recorded prior to Halloween Havoc, so Kevin Sullivan and woman accompany Doom to the ring, taking on George South and Johnny Kennedy here. I uh, need to correct myself a little bit ago. I said we were at center stage. We are not. I I said at the top of the this episode that they are actually and it's still in the Cobb County uh, Convention Center or whatever the hell it is. Take on George South, Johnny Kennedy here. This is taped pre-Havoc Sullivan at ringside as she comes out to that strut song by Bob Seger, which will get yanked here in a few weeks after Bob Seger's people find out that NWA is using it without permission. Uh, woman looks yummy here, I pointed out. As the match gets going... There's doom in the background, but woman in the foreground right in front of the camera. And Jim Ross says, boy, they are big. So you can guess what JR is actually referencing there. As doom clears the ring, they're still finding their way here, moving between power moves and wrestling with lots of very reminiscent of the Minnesota wrecking crew here is they really took apart the job guys, arms, worked their arms, hammer locks galore. And the Anderson armbar, after all of the Anderson bodies, the armbar body slam, the hammerlock body slams, I should say, and all of that working of the arm. And it's the Anderson armbar, the old Ole Anderson standing armbar on George South gets the win in four minutes and six seconds. This was technically Doom's debut match. This is the first time they come out there and wrestle, although the first time we actually see them was back at Halloween Havoc. Doom will take on Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert. At Clash of the Champions. What did you make of this match? It seemed like they were trying to figure out what they were trying to do with Doom. Were they going to be a wrestling team or a badass beat-em-up team? And here they, they kind of went yeah. in between both, but 
really a lot of arm work, which I'm wondering if that only changed because of what's to come here, who's coming back to the company. Yeah. Um, first thing I got to point out is just the, mu- the theme music. I know it gets yanked, but I kind of made the comment to you. Like, it really just drives home the fact that it's all about woman. I mean, you got two big-ass dudes like Ron Simmons and Butch Reed coming to the ring to that woman can strut or strut by Bob Sear. It makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense at all. But when it's all about woman, it just drives home that fact. Really, 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 really good to me. I think it's just uh, uh, you're hearing it, and so you can. You, not only is it visual that woman's leading the charge, but the music's about her too. So um, again, I like that decision. I put down here. It's like it's a little boring, but I like Doom being different uh, than other teams in the company. You have a lot of teams right now that are just going in and beating the shit out of people. The Samoans, the Roadies skyscrapers they just come in Steiners. and destroy guys yeah i think i mentioned them but th- those guys just come in and they just kill people and so doom comes out here and you're like okay here, here's another team that's just to beat them up and knock them down type of guys they're just going to do the same thing and then they come out and they start working an arm and really going at like a a, a, a limb right and a wrestling and they but they mix in the power moves they it's kind of like what the undertaker talks about where He's slow, so he's slow, 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 and then bam, he hits you with a big move. Like they work the arm, work the arm, and then all of a sudden you get a giant spine buster. And so I thought they did a, a great job differentiating themselves from the rest of the pack and just showing that they're going to be a little bit different than what other people are going to be doing in the ring, even though they have the size to go out there and do the same thing the roadies and everybody else are doing. No, I agree. I mean, it is good to change it up and try to come up with a team that can do something other than just murdering people, but. Just based on their look alone, I mean, you almost have to allow them to destroy some people. I mean, they look like they could just obliterate you, and they can, uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. But we go back, and it's promo time with Jim Cornette, and it's Dynamic Dudes versus Midnight Express at Clash of the Champions. But where will Cornette be? Which corner will he be in? Corny says he can't be in the corner of somebody against his Midnight Express, so he can't do the dudes. But he can't stand in the corner of the Midnights either after what they've been doing to Corny. So Jim Cornette says he's going to stay at home. That is until the Midnight Express come out. Stan Lane with contract. Just happen to have the contract in hand, Steve. Just happen to have just sitting there backstage <laughs> with his contract in hand. Legal, He says it is a legal and binding contract. Jim Cornette is their manager and it states he must be ringside for all of their matches. Kind of funny Stan's implementing this because he hasn't been using it lately. They've been allowing Cornette to miss their matches. So just in time for Clash of the Champions, Jim Cornette must be at ringside. Midnight Express don't care if Cornette is with them until then, but he will be there. November 15th at the Clash, Cornette talks Stan Lane's grudge with Johnny Ace. Stan was running around on a girl. Johnny Ace dated her a couple social dates. No big deal. Corny says Stan Lane had an issue with it, though. Cornette is going to have to be there, but he's going to be there in a neutral corner to sit and watch the match. We'll see how that plays out at the Clash. Yeah, this is really good. Stan Lane basically put Cornette's nuts in a vice grip and basically forced him to do something he didn't want to do. And uh, Cornette retaliated by kind of exposing uh, Stan Lane there and why he's so mad at Johnny Ace. He said he's going to sit in the corner and just hope somebody's attitude gets straightened out. So uh, uh, this was an excellent selling point. At this point, I don't need to see any more of the stuff between the dudes and the Midnights. I'm ready for this match. Yeah, and this was the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, I don't even know if either team appears next week on the the World Championship Wrestling Show. So I think this here is the final piece of the puzzle leading into the actual clash. So 
I think it was an uh, excellent piece that didn't need to mm-hmm. be here, but it was uh, another good piece of the puzzle, certainly. A reason for Cornette to be yeah. down there at ringside in a neutral corner. So really well told. And the show continues on. Wildfire Tommy Rich. Somebody say something about little Lee Scott, brother. Lee Scott in the ring with Tommy. If only Tommy Rich was as exciting as Rhubarb Jones's introduction of Tommy Rich. Rhubarb gets into it. Tommy Rich, not so much. And we get an insert promo from Gary Hart. He talks to the dream match upcoming between TV champion, the great Muda defending against Tommy Rich. Don't get too excited, Steve. The match won't happen, at least not when it's supposed to, because this was taped back on October 24th. But on October 30th, your buddy Lex Luger, oops, upside Tommy Rich's head, busts his eardrum 30 stitches later, Tommy Rich is out, and it'll actually end up being Tommy Rich accompanying, I think, the Italian Stallion to the ring for the Great <laughs> Muda match. Another great dream match there, by the way. And then um, yeah, man. I think Tommy still does wind up uh, wrestling Muda for the title here in the next couple weeks, but it, it won't be next week. And these dream matches are a stretch, to say the least, I wrote here, because We've seen Ranger Ross, we've seen the Freebirds, we've seen the Cuban Assassin, and supposedly next week we were going to see Tommy Rich. And instead of going and finding the Z-Man, or, or they probably don't want to job him out at this point, I get it, or, or someone else, they go and get the Italian Stallion to replace Tommy Rich. These dream matches are, are well, they're lucky, let me put it this way, they're very lucky they have Sid versus Doc on the same show. That's no lie. Yeah, dream matches, I say no. Just normal... TV matches with some somewhat name opponents going against each other. Uh, I'm not saying Muda's somewhat name opponent. I'm just saying his opponent is just, I get his Tommy Rich, but good night. Dude's looked like total shit since he's been back. And now all of a sudden he's getting a TV title match after he got a U.S. title match too. Well, he's, he's going down the card. So. See, you got a U.S. title match. Next is the oh, TV Lord. title. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll when, see. when does it get down to out the door? <laughs> Jeez, 1992. Please. <laughs> is the Jesus. answer to that question. It's arm bars and a Fez press in this one. Tommy Rich over Lee Scott. Five minutes and 37 seconds. What a waste of Lee Scott this week. I wrote, why are the Z-Man and Tommy Rich going five plus minutes and everyone else on the show, two minutes? Is Ole Anderson, is Grumpy Ole already booking the show, trying to torture us fans? It just seems like Ole would be getting off on this, jerking off in a corner. <laughs> they got to watch the Z-Man and Tommy Rich. Motherfucker. <laughs> Fucking Ole Anderson. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, show goes on with the Midnight <laughs> Express taking on Trent Knight and Tommy Angel. And nope, no Jim Cornette here as we get a Dynamic Dudes insert promo. They didn't want this match, but the Midnights did, so they'll oblige. Johnny Ace tells Stan Lane to be careful what you wish for. He just might get it at the Clash. Midnight Express healing it up a lot here. Lots of cheating. But they're getting cheered for all the cheating they do. And Bobby Eaton even nails Tommy Angel with a chair, plastic chair on the outside. And I loved uh, Jim Cornette's line here as the, uh, Bobby Eaton's cheating. He blames it all on Stan Lane's influence. Stan Lane's the heel here. Now, Bob, Bobby Eaton's never cheated in his life. And the double goozle. They bust out the double goozle, I think, for the first time in 1989. Gets the win in six minutes and 14 seconds. Cornette plays up the goozle as their heel finisher. And he, he basically puts over the Midnight's as, as heels again here. And he's not really digging their, well, at least this week, he's not digging their, their style in the ring, if you will. And it's good there. Cornette doesn't need to be at ringside. That whole arguing with the guys, it's much better having him on commentary. He can tell the story much better while he's watching them. Yeah, I agree. This is 
this was excellent. The match was okay. You know, Trent Knight and Tommy Angel can really go as far as jobbers go. Right. Uh, they're one of they're a few of the better ones. So they got some offense and they played it up really good. And then Cornette on commentary was just awesome. So uh, again, like we talked about a lot with this feud, it's this. There's not a whole lot of angles. Uh, you got a few interactions, but a lot of it's just been Cornette and subtle comments and remarks and stuff like that that he's made over the last few weeks that have really enhanced this uh, feud and made it really, really good. Never thought I'd say this, but I'm pretty excited for that match at the Clash. We get our very first Starcade 89 Future Shock commercial. It'll feature two round-robin tournaments, four singles, four tag teams. Eh. It'll happen on Wednesday night, December 13th. Why is a pay-per-view airing on a Wednesday night? I, I don't know that that's ever explained. Not really happy with the format yeah, either. We'll talk more about that when we get closer to the show. But I am impressed. They are six weeks. They haven't even got to the class yet. They're six weeks away, mm. six and a half weeks away from the pay-per-view, and they're already shilling it. So good job there. Yeah, I, I know why. Do tell. No holds barred. Oh, I see. I got you. Okay. Maybe even it's hoping to screw last, with the Survivor the Series. If you, <laughs> what's that? Isn't the last Sunday usually Starcade of December, usually? Right after Christmas? I don't know that they... Well, let's see. It was Thanksgiving through 87. I'm not sure, but there's really no... I don't know. It's Whatever it was in 88, it's hard to say. I don't know what they did in 88. So they really haven't set a precedent here of when they're going to air the Starcade show, but it just seems odd on a Wednesday. Very weird. Yeah, the, win- the Wednesday is odd, but... Two weeks, that seems real early for a Starcade, the 13th. Yeah, why not a Saturday? Why not a, I don't know. It, it's just really That weird. Sunday would have been the 17th. So I, do, you, do you not want to do Christmas Eve? Well, you definitely don't want to do Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. So then you wait till the 31st. That's like two days after the No Holds Barred one. Yeah, so why have a Starcade Christmas when you can have a No Holds Barred Christmas? <laughs> I suppose. That's right. They really screwed with him in 89. <laughs> I'm telling you. TV champion, the great Muda. Yeah, well, it is it is it is what it is. It's, it's good stuff on both sides right now. Uh, TV champion, oh. the great Muda in the ring with Gary Hart and Mr. J taking on Joe Cruz. We get an insert promo from Wildfire Tommy Rich. So if you haven't seen enough of him, he's back. Insert promo from Tommy Rich. He thought the Kabuki was something, but now there's Muda. Tommy Rich says he's a good old cornbread boy. And I guess that that's all it takes to beat the Great Muda? I don't know. I don't know what this promo was going what was going on with this promo. Still better than the Z-Man, but eh, it wasn't very good. As uh Mr. J accompanies Muda to the ring, he does that backwards walk, always looking out for uh, attacks from behind, I suppose. Jim Cornette thinks he may know who Mr. J is, but he's not permitted in the United States. So this guy's banned in the States, according to Corny. Anyway, I don't know how Cornette would know who he is. The Muda Lock makes its TV debut, not counting Halloween Havoc, as Muda gets the win here on some, by submission, 2 minutes and 36 seconds. Promo time with the SST, the Samoan Savage, and Humperdinck. They say a six-man tag is upcoming, but it isn't. It's just a regular tag team match, as it's Samu and Fatu, accompanied the ring by Savage, and Humperdinck taking on the Italian Stallion Chris Powers. SST attack to begin the match. They have regressed to their primal state. It's noted on commentary. Apparently they were eating McDonald's and riding in sports cars. According to Jim Cornette. I must have missed that. I didn't see Samun Fatu rolling down the road in a Ferrari. Uh, Jim Ross implies they had too much Wall Street influence. 
with their previous manager. It's Fatu with a big splash on Powers, but pulls him up on the two count, allowing Samu to land a diving headbutt. But then Samu pulls him up as well. Samu then stomps and punches on poor Powers before he finally makes the cover. Whole thing went two minutes and ten seconds. SST looking rough and tumble, and the announcer's taking quite a few shots at Paul e dangerously here. Yeah, I know we... We've kind of talked about them regressing back to their primal state or just saying stupid shit like that. Right. Um, but I think this is the best that they did of selling it. Like, Paul E. maybe changed them a little bit, got them too Wall Street-ish, uh, got them wanting other things in life, being big time, that type of deal. Now that it's back to kicking kicking people's ass, the problem with it is, like you mentioned, uh, they, they haven't changed how they wrestled at all. Like, right. They're wrestling the same as they are. Or did under Paul E. So say they're going back to their primal state. Are they going to start eating people and shit like that? Or what? What exactly are they going back to? Because they haven't changed their in ring style at all. Yeah, I think other than Maybe I mean, they're, they're, the aggression has always been there. I think the only thing different that I've noticed here, at least in this match, is they're pulling the guy up from the the pinfall, trying to do a little more danger, uh, put a little more you know uh, beat down on him. But other than that, I don't I don't see any change whatsoever in the SST. It makes sense that they were changing their style of it, but I don't know how you can change their style and not ruin what the Samoans are. Right. So, uh, just stupid in general. They will announce the most popular wrestler award given to them by Bill Apter at Clash of the Champions 9, so send in your postcards right now, I suppose, and vote. Who are you voting for, Steve? Most popular wrestler? Uh, Lex Luger. Mm, I saw that coming. I'm going to go... <laughs> With Mr. Halloween Havoc, eighty-nine himself. I'm gonna go with the Z man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna woman? vote for the underdog there. <laughs> no woman. Mm, I sure don't know who I would vote with for. The guys. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> oh man, two dream matches next week. It's supposed to be Muda and Tommy Rich and Sid Vicious and Doctor Death. That's the one I can't wait for. And we close out the show with highlights of Halloween Havoc eighty-nine. Much like the Great American Bash, they did a great video package here. Not giving away anything, just showing something, making everything look like a grand spectacle. Yep. Great job. We move on to Sunday and the main event for November 5th. It's Doom again with Woman and Kevin Sullivan taking on John Barnes and Alex Porto. Butch Reed with the flying shoulder block on Porto picks up the win in four minutes and 29 seconds. We get the same moves as before. We've seen already Ron Simmons with the big spine buster and Reed makes the cover with the knee and the big double biceps pose that he was doing, you know, when he was here before his Butch Reed. So giving it away a little bit, if you were watching all year anyway. Yeah. There's one spot in here that was awesome. Simmons basically picked up, I can't remember who it was, Porto, and picked him up in a body slam and tosses him damn near across the whole ring and threw him into his corner just to tag in Barnes. <laughs> so it was, uh, he launched him to get the tag. Damn. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. He made a great comment yesterday on his, uh, I don't want to give it away when we're recording this, but he made a great comment saying, you know, I wish I knew that I could get over by saying damn. And he's like, my (laughs) knees, my hips, and everything else would have been feeling a lot better today than they do if I knew that's all it took to get over. (laughs) So Good point, Ron. He's probably. Didn't you ask him about the Iron Sheik as well? Did he comment on that at all? Uh, Being partnered with the Iron Sheik? They did ask uh, about the Iron Sheik. They didn't ask about my Ebony experience. Uh, they were kind of getting busy there. But um, he said uh, Iron Sheik is one of the like two guys that are the exact same on camera that they are off camera. 
And he's like, uh, that's about all I could say working with the Iron Sheik. He's like, he's a legit tough guy. He could really work. He's an Olympian. He was a great guy to work with, and he had fun. Him and Teddy Long, he said, are the exact same on camera that they are off. Uh, just really good people. Intriguing. That's all I really said about <laughs> it. We continue on with the main event. It's a Freebirds promo. They talk about the Road Warriors at Clash 9. Even though the Birds have already lost the belt, they claim they're defending the belts. At Clash of the Champions against the Roadies, it's promo time. Jim Ross interviews Ric Flair yet again. How will the loser of Clash 9 look themselves in the mirror if they have to give up? Flair says he won't give up. Ric Flair gave up at Clash 6, but at Clash 9, Funk will holler. Nationwide, I quit. Woo! Another promo <laughs> pimping Clash 9. And the I quit match is as best I can put it there. And we get a replay of the four-corner $5,000 match, the match where Brian Pillman goes over Eddie Gilbert, the Cuban, and Bill Irwin, all in a matter of 12 or 13 minutes there. And Jim Ross now, he already interviewed Ric Flair. And yes, it's time again. At least they're at least they're making sure they cover all bases. Every single show gets a Flair and a Funk promo. Jim Ross now with Terry Funk, and he talks Clash 9. Funk has thought of the ramifications, the fallout. If he loses, he could never tell Flair that Flair is the better man, so it's just that simple. Funk can't say I quit, and he won't quit. Moving into the Clash, and we close the show with Brian Pillman taking on Mike Rotunda. You heard me right. Brian Pillman in back-to-back match. They didn't really think this out too well. Uh, two Pillman matches in a row, and Air Pillman on Mike Rotunda, but before Brian Pillman can make the win, it's Lex Luger who's been standing ringside watching Flying Brian attacking Pillman causing the disqualification, giving Pillman the win in eight minutes as Luger puts the boots to Brian Pillman. Sting and Ric Flair come out to make the save. And this is all to build up towards the clash because we get the rematch between Luger and Pillman. It was fun. I like that they added a little extra here for their uh, rematch. I did too. Um, Maybe they realized that Pillman's puns are getting old and Luger's kind of saying the same stuff. So let's give him an angle instead of more promo time. And uh, I think also I th- they, they did a good job of getting Flair and Sting out there just to keep Pillman on that level right. uh, going into the match. Uh, th- they did a good job with that. I like Luger being ringside, too. That was, it was a little different. I know Teddy Long's doing it, but it's different when an actual opponent is down there watching their challenger. And again, we and have so- new guys booking TV, and they're using things that worked in other territories that they were a part of. And it's really showing here a lot of new ideas coming to like good, good ideas, mind you like Lex Luger yeah. at ringside here, scouting his opponent. And I like that. It just needed that extra little click in the story to have in Luger doing this. It worked perfectly. You needed that one little stop gap in between the havoc and clan. I know it's only two weeks, but I liked that they did something here. Just a little mm-hmm. extra incentive for, for Pillman to want a little, piece of luger's ass on top of going for the belt at clash of the champions really seemed weird though two brian pillman matches on this show (laughs) yeah like you said they didn't really plan that out but one other thing i want to point out is he cut that promo and he's like yeah i've already beat you once so um just sign the contract and i'll take you out again like you mentioned he's very cocky have you seen anybody this cocky but then he comes out and gets him dq'd and beats him up a little bit to rough him up to kind of soften him up for the clash so he's like a cocky hill, but he's also kind of a chicken shit, too. He, he wants to get the upper hand any way he can. So he's like that ultimate hill. He's going to brag about being the greatest of all time, but then he's going to cheat and do shortcuts to get there. So right, uh, he's getting a little bit of both of that action. And um, I thought this was, like you said, this was very good. 
uh, to kind of give us a little something, something between Halloween Havoc and The Clash. And outside of discussing ratings a couple times over the summer months when NWA was at an all-time low, they're actually reaching almost all-time highs, or at least for the year here. So the ratings are back in the notes as well. World Championship Wrestling, the one we just covered here a little bit ago, November 4th, drew a 2.9 rating, which is the highest rating of any show since January 1989. So since we started the show, basically, way back at the beginning when Barry Windham took on Eddie Gilbert. Of course, Barry Windham was the number two heel at the time underneath Ric Flair, and Eddie Gilbert was basically the de facto maybe top babyface, arguably. I mean, you could argue Sting was certainly more popular than Eddie, but Sting wasn't being pushed in a position higher than Eddie Gilbert at that point. So your last show that drew higher than a 2.9 had Eddie Gilbert and Barry Windham, and it had Mike Rotunda and Rick Steiner. And Steiner, man, he was getting he was exploding at that time, and he was in the middle of that feud with Mike Rotunda, his former member of the Varsity Club. So that, that was the last time we saw a rating this high. Things are working. They're finally turning around just as we're concluding 1989. Even the NWA <laughs> main event, the one with Brian Pillman and Mike Rotunda here, did a 2.7. So Rotunda, the headliner here, back-to-back weeks, first against Ric Flair, this week against Brian Pillman, drawing really good numbers. I don't think that Mike Rotunda is the one drawing the numbers. And the NWA Power Hour back on Friday, it fell, however, down to a 1.7. So main event and World Championship Wrestling doing pretty damn good this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that January card is that was the very first episode because uh, I think that Eddie Gilbert Barry Windham match is like the very first match you watch at the beginning of '89. Very well could have been. So man, they're looking at the first show. It took them all the way to the beginning of November to reach what they were reaching at the beginning of the the year. Power Hour, I'm assuming, has been impacted by all the Braves games going late and. Is it on? Is it not on? Are we getting what we're supposed to be getting? Is it the full show? And I think now that baseball is finally over and these these shows are starting when they're supposed to start and they're ending when they're supposed to end, I think that has that has to play some sort of impact on what we're seeing here as far as ratings go. But um, it's great to see because TV's been off the charts, to be honest with you. It's been really, really good. The pay-per-views have been good. I'm happy to see the house shows are picking up a little bit. Seems like they're finally turning a corner, and just like NWA and WCW in general, it only lasts for so long. At least they was able to do it, and Ric Flair can look back at Jim Hurd and say, "Look, look, man, I did it. I did what you said I couldn't do. No, get off my back, type of deal." But um, <laughs> kudos to Ric Flair. Yeah, he did and, it. And Jim Cornette and Kevin Sullivan, everybody involved, really, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, wh- whoever has a hand in this cookie jar, they did an excellent job. But um, I really think it took that that final say type person to be in control and with it being somebody the clout and caliber of Ric Flair, that voice resonates more than most. So it's going to work to a degree. And so uh, my hat's off to him. Absolutely. We'll move on to the next week. It's NWA power hour for November 10th taped back on October 30th. So this is post Halloween havoc. Now we're in Gainesville, Georgia at the Georgia mountain center. Jim Ross and Jim Cornette in a Donald Duck hat this week. I don't know what the story is there. I asked Corny on Twitter. I didn't hear anything back. Uh, I did post the oh, picture. He explained though. it on the show. Oh, does did he? I missed it. Show? Now, you're going to have to explain it to me. I missed it, I oh, guess. Oh, Lord. It was stupid. I'm he sure it was, but I, I have to know. We went. He said he went to Disney World in uh, Georgia. Uh, Georgia is the home of Disney World. And Ross is like, no, it's 
That's in Orlando, Florida. You're right. He's yeah, like, no, he went to a bootleg Disney to, World. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. In the in the parking lot, and <laughs> yeah. like, I think I got a ripoff or just something ridiculous. It wasn't very funny. No, it wasn't some of his best work. So you think Jesse wore it better then at uh, Royal Rumble '90, the uh, goofy hat or whatever the hell he had going there? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> We go to the ring with Doom, accompanied by a woman taking on the Italian Stallion and Richard Sartain. Doom are working for a real taskmaster, says Jim Ross. I found that comical. As Ron Simmons nails the big spine buster, and they move into the finish here this week. And, ooh, this is that move we were talking about. Not, not pretty at all. Ron Simmons tries to catapult Sartain into a Butch Reed shoulder block. Absolutely awful. Uh, bowling shoe ugly as jim ross would uh, refer to things uh the catapult doesn't go as planned sartain kind of falls over to the side he never actually goes vertical butchery completely misses the move and makes the cover anyway match went four minutes and 34 seconds even butch wobbled as he came off the middle rope uh sartain it was just the whole the whole entire move was a mess uh, yeah i think it would be awesome if they actually Got the timing down and connected properly. Oh, absolutely! I don't know if they ever. I don't know if they ever try it again. To be honest with you, I no. I think. I think. I, that, I think. I think either they themselves said, or maybe when they got to the back, somebody else told them, "We're never doing that again. You're, you're never doing yeah. that again." That that was yeah, it was know, a train wreck. I don't know the guys that size should be doing uh, catapults. I don't know if it's going to work with your your body, your your muscle mass. I, I don't know if it's going to gel well. Uh, but it's completely different if they connected properly and everything. Oh God, up. yeah, it would have been amazing if they could. I've yeah, seen that been. move tried so many times in different ways, and it never the timing. Ne- even if you catapult the guy properly, then it's down to the timing of connecting with that clothesline, that shoulder block. The conquistadors used to try that move as their finisher, and you know how often they got wins. But it just every time I've ever seen it tried, it just I've never seen it executed right. Right, it's never went a hundred percent right. So just you need a don't... guy like uh, you need to slingshot a guy like Mister Perfect who had springs in his feet. I think <laughs> that would work, but nobody has that like like Mister Perfect. So you're not gonna fight him every week to be able to get it established. It's kind of like uh, Doc hitting that one move perfect the first time. So you're like, oh shit, why they need to do it again and again? And then we've seen it to where like uh, who's the jobber? The dude who wears the green, the, the full green body outfit with the mask. Oh, the cool hood. connection. Yeah, cruel connection. Yeah, how he slid off his back when they tried to do that move again, where they right. caught him in the press slam. Yeah, it, it kind of just takes it away. If it does it perfect once, doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it perfect every single time. Uh, half second off, and it's screwed. So I'm glad they never tried it again. I like the idea, but it just wasn't going to work. I got to mention though the lighting. How do you, you like the lighting that they've been doing? Like the blue and red, it's kind of dark, but it gives you enough light to see the fans. Compared to that pitch to black garbage that they used to do. I feel like this is the lighting they used the first taping at center stage as well. I feel like that they used this lighting, the very first center stage taping uh, or something to that effect. Anyway, I don't mind it. It makes it look different. I think they use this kind of lighting on, on one of the episodes of uh, WW, like the main event. I think they used it maybe on one of those shows as well. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, the, the one with the, I think it's the one with the twin towers. Yeah. I remember seeing the, the, the uh, Powers of Pain and Demolition from that yeah, same that show, yeah. that lighting. I think Ultimate Warrior and somebody where he wore the, all black, the black trunks, but um, that's on his Coliseum video. But I, I think it's cool. It looks good. And I, I I love this era of NWA just because, like, once this lighting comes in, 
it's just so unique and different and be able to see it every week is awesome. I like it. We move on and it's time for uh, uh, Gordon Soley in his WNN. He's going to talk all about Clash of the Champions 9 and most specifically the I Quit match between Funk and Flair. I wanted you to listen to a piece here. This is just Gordon being classic Gordon. Let me explain now that in an I Quit match, the only way the match can be terminated is when one competitor or the other says over the PA system, I quit. Let me take a personal note on that, if I may, because two future Hall of Famers are involved in this match. One dynasty will definitely come to an end. Knowing the heritage of Terry Funk, having known his father, and having watched him, the king of the Texas death matches, I have never knowingly heard this man give up at any time. I have never heard him say the word, I quit. But then again, you have Ric Flair, six times world heavyweight champion, a man of immense pride. A personal comment, how do I think the match will end? Well, very frankly, my heart goes with Ric Flair, six times world heavyweight champion. I sincerely hope in my own mind that he is able to emerge victoriously. But very frankly, my gut reaction, my head tells me, Terry Funk has too much heritage, too much background to ever say I quit. But I hope I'm wrong. Uh, man, I think Gordon sold the match. Uh, tremendous. You, you might be onto something, too. That, that right there, that may be the reason Gordon winds up uh, doing color on that class show. What a promo by Gordon Soley. Yeah, I... I'm not a huge Gordon Soley guy, but man, and these WNN, when he's like a personal moment, if you will, he really knows how to drive home these matches. Uh, he did an excellent job of selling, you know, the backstory between Pillman and Luger. He does it here with the long history of the funk name in wrestling and then Flair and his dynasty. He just for somehow, some way. I don't know how long he spends writing this stuff up or coming up with it or if he's just going at it off the top of his head. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how he did his business, but um, he just knows how to elevate these matches to a whole new level. Uh, it's kind of like, I know we mentioned it before, Jesse, the body at WrestleMania three, when he's doing the tell of the tape between Hogan and Andre, like every time I hear that, I get goosebumps and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now because it just makes it, feel like it's that next level okay you've seen the undercard you've seen everybody now it's hogan and andre now it's flair and funk now it's luger and pillman and things like that and it's just somehow some way these guys have the ability to make these matches feel way more important than they probably are in real life um they can make you suspend your belief and they add he adds an extra edge to it and after watching that man i just uh, listening to that again, I can't, I can't wait to see Funk and Flair. There's so much on the line, and it's not even about the belt. That's how great Gordon Soley did here, and this is how great Funk and Flair are doing promos this week, making so much on the line, and the big, the big prize is not even up up for grabs. So, excellent, excellent job by everybody involved, and Gordon Soley, man, that's awesome. Show goes on with Norman the Lunatic accompanied the ring by Teddy Long taking on Wildfire Tommy Rich. Ugh, not pretty. 
This match is going to be aired. It's actually from the November 11th Worldwide episode with Chris Cruz and Jim Ross on commentary. A fan gives Norman yet another teddy bear as Long shows him the key to keep Norman focused for the match. Norman dominates the entire match before tossing Tommy Rich out to the floor. And once Tommy's back inside, Norman sets up for the Karachi Crunch. He, as he charges at Tommy Rich, he's going to do him in, but stops short when Tommy Rich holds up a bear. It's like holding up a cross to a vampire. Norman stops dead in his tracks as Tommy hands him the bear. What a cheap way. Only Tommy Rich would do this. Norman lays down on the mat and begins <laughs> to play with the teddy bear. As Tommy Rich jumps on top and makes the cover. I wrote cheap shit here. As Tommy Rich picks up the win in four minutes and 27 seconds. And then post-match, Teddy wants the bear. Teddy bear. Okay. So Long wants the bear, but Norman grabs Teddy bear. I'm sorry. Norman grabs the Teddy bear, not Teddy Long, back. And then he grabs Teddy Long himself. Norman coming into his own here. He's sick of Teddy Long lately. And there's they're continue to tease the Norman face turn. I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just so stupid and ridiculous. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I was yeah, baffled. Was, My notes a, here says, what the shit. hell is going on? Yeah, it was a this shit finish. It's ridiculous. A, and, yeah, it um, seems like if this is something they did on AEW today, Jim Cornette would have a fit on his podcast. But here they are back here. They're writing this stuff. Tommy Rich holding a bear up. And Norman jump, uh, stopping dead in his tracks during the finisher to play with a teddy bear on the mat. On his back, of course, so that Tommy Rich can jump on top. And meanwhile, Norman apparently doesn't realize he's being pinned all the while. Just absolutely ridiculous in a cheap way to get out of the yeah, match. I agree. Garbage. Con- continuing on with Funk's Grill. It was advertised last week that the Freebirds would be on the show, but thankfully they're not. Instead, they must have listened to WNN. And Terry Funk says he did. And so he invites Gordon solely onto the grill because he loved Gordon's uh, what Gordon had to say. Gordon, of course, picked Terry Funk to win the match. Funk said he had a guest. Didn't say who. It was the birds he canceled because he wanted to discuss Sully's comments earlier on the show. Sully says, or excuse me, the Funker says that Gordon is a genius or plastered or both. Sully was smart to believe Funk would win his upcoming bout against Ric Flair. Terry Funk brought Sully onto the show with the two talking about the upcoming match. Funk talks handshakes. He doesn't want the belt anymore. Isn't that how this whole thing started? Terry Funk wanted the world title. He wanted to be in that top 10. They've changed the entire dynamic now. I understand at this point that he wants Ric Flair's pride, Steve, but why don't you want the title too? Why can't you have both? It's, it's odd that you say, I don't want the belt anymore. I just want your pride. Wouldn't taking the belt be part of that? And on top of that, why wouldn't you? You're basically telling them, you're telling the committee, I, I don't want it to be a title match. Why would you do that? That's the only issue I have with this story. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a way to explain why that would make sense. And like I said, I think it's great that he's able to pivot away from the title match and just make it about pride and quitting and everything else. But how many times has have people said, if you take the belt from Ric Flair, you take everything he has. So if you make Ric Flair quit. Well, Ric Flair himself has said that. Yeah. And so if you make him quit, he's still going to wake up the next morning and have the belt and he's going to be good. He's just going to have that little blemish or embarrassment on his record saying that he told Terry Funk that he quit and he shook his hand and said that he was a better man. There's nothing wrong with that. 
<laughs> the best lose uh, all the time. You know, it's just uh, that's just the way life is. But I, I don't know. I, I I don't know why. Like, what what's the point? Like, not necessarily in the realm of the the actual like wrestling, but like, what's the behind the scenes reasoning? Why did they go this route? Do you know? Can you come up with any ideas on why this makes sense or why they did it this way? No, that's why I was asking. I, I got nothing. I mean, other than their main focus was on the pride, uh, just a different dynamic, I suppose. I, I don't know why you would give up having the title involved as well in real life. I mean, obviously here in wrestling, it, yeah. it's, it it's makes sense, I suppose. As the show continues on, this is a fun match here. It's U.S. champion Lex Luger taking on... Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch shows uh, the match starts out with Lex Luger doing a lot of stalling outside the ring, hiding in the ropes. I wrote, isn't it amazing how fun stalling can be when the guy's actually over and actually sells it well? And unlike the Freebirds, uh, Luger is very over here and he does a great job just walking around the ringside, not wanting to get in the ring with Dickie early on. Murdoch does finally get a hold of Luger and attaches the Fujiwara armbar on the total package, but Luger escapes, and a cheap shot boot sends Dick to the floor. Murdoch, though, rushes back inside, and Luger runs off down the aisle. He's going to leave. Or maybe not. Lex comes back to the ring, lays in some shots of his own, but Murdoch retaliates with elbows and a big dropkick. Lex comes back with a big power slam, tries for the torture rack, but Murdoch holds onto the ropes. Lex Luger goes for the Boston Crab. I couldn't believe this. Lex Luger trying the Boston Crab. Fun spots here as Murdoch spins out of the move, not once, but twice. Finally, a third time, Lex Luger goes for the Boston Crab, and he does the old Stan Hansen spot. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Steve. Luger applies the Boston Crab. This is how Hansen won the AWA title from Rick Martell. He does it in the corner so that he's facing the corner buckle, and he can put his forehead into the top turnbuckle for added leverage and also to prevent the guy from escaping the hold. And uh, I, I thought that was great here. I hadn't seen it done outside of Hanson and Martell, and I always wondered why nobody uses this spot, and Lex Luger busts it out here in 1989. Nick Patrick finally makes Lex break the hold after he gets caught using the turnbuckle for leverage. Lex back out to the floor after a shoulder pit, and Lex dives in on top with his feet on the ropes, as he did with Tommy Rich back on a TV match uh, several oh, a couple months back now. And Nick Patrick again catches Luger trying to cheat using his feet for leverage and a pinfall attempt. Lex then tries another pin with his feet on the ropes, caught a third time now by Nick Patrick. Lex trying anything and everything to beat Dickie Murdoch here. Murdoch makes the big comeback. He chokes out Lex Luger and pops Nick Patrick in the process. Lex then takes his turn shoving Nick Patrick. And finally, the referee calls for the bell, a double disqualification in 17 minutes and 40 seconds as Lex Luger bails from the ring, still United States champion. What'd you think of this match? Uh, this match was very, very good. I, I love the Boston Crab spot. I never seen the Stan Hansen do it, so I thought it was very, very clever. I wonder who told him to do it, or if he came up with it on his own, because you know his ass ain't watching film, uh, <laughs> especially if Stan Hansen. He has better things to do, like watch himself in the mirror, so uh, I wonder who told him not to do that, or how that was called. Because from what I gather, he he never knew how to call a match. That's why the WrestleMania match sucks so bad, according to him. Mr. Perfect forgot the match or something happened. And so he had to call it since he was the heel. And he has yeah. no idea how to call a match. And this is in 93. So he's like, that wasn't my best work that day. <laughs> I wonder if Dick Murdoch gave him the idea during the match or something. But um, no, I, I, 
I, I'm with you. Like he did an excellent job of, you know, when the birds stall, they take like one arm drag and maybe a drop kick and then they hightail it out of there. Luger comes in, gets some offense. It doesn't work. Dick Murdoch does like three or four things. Luger finally gets away and he heads to the outside and he's pissed off. He's flustered. And the crowd's eating it up because Luger's that over at this point as a heel. And um, like you said, it was 12 minutes of stalling or how to do as little as you can. But (laughs) it worked for me. It's not the stalling that you would expect uh, from the Freebirds where it's just ridiculous. They're doing it with people like Lee Scott. At least Dick Murdoch's over too. Uh, to a degree, and he's stalling because he doesn't want to get caught by anything that Dick Murdoch can do. So Yeah, Michael Hayes uh, with very, that very uh, paint-by-numbers stalling, too. The old hold-your-ears, tell people to shut up, look around, left-right, left-right, Michael Hayes nonsense. Luger here, he just exudes realism. Like, how mm-hmm. dare? How dare this guy knock me out of the yeah. room? Like, what the hell is this? You know? And so I think that's why it got over. I wrote here a tale of two halves for me. This match was 12 minutes of how to do as little as you can and stay over, which is key before turning into a solid match for the final eight minutes. Yeah. When you see, when you're a guy looking like Lex Luger and you get beat up by a guy looking like Dick Murdoch, the crowd's going to eat it up. Luger has no business (laughs) doing anything for Dick Murdoch, you know, like just based off looks. So, when you see the pretty boy get his ass kicked, everybody can relate to that, and that's why he stayed over. I'm, I'm with you. Like, it's, it was this was excellent, and I'm I want to watch the rematch. Dang it! <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. And one side, the wrestler of the week this week, you'll be happy is the total package. Lex Luger really getting a push here. Not that the, being the U.S. champion, you're not getting a push, but he's really been stale. Not his fault. Since Great American Bash after Steamboat quit, up until now, all of a sudden, boom. Gets this quick uh, feud with Brian Pillman, and Lex Luger's right back on top of things here. And as we close out the show, we learn that next week, Dick Murdoch will get a rematch with the United States champion, the total package Lex Luger, as we continue on to NWA Pro for November 11th. Quick results as we don't have this one. This one's missing in action. It's Doom getting a win over Trent Knight and an unnamed job guy. Dynamic dudes over Joe Cruz and George South. We get a Doom and Woman promo before the Z-Man takes on a man by the name of Stevens. That's all I got there, Steve. Terry Funk, Gary Hart, and Mr. J in a promo. No doubt Terry Funk was talking about pride there. Lex Luger also a promo on Brian Pillman. Back to the ring with the SST over Scrap Iron Bill Ford and Larry Santo. I don't think we've seen Larry Santo up until now here in the NWA. Flying Brian Pillman takes on Jimmy Garvin. We'll get to that because that actually airs on the main event. And then promo time with Ric Flair closes out the show. Again, I'm sure he was talking all about that pride as we move on to NWA Worldwide for November 11th. Again, recorded back on October 30th in Gainesville, Georgia. Chris Cruz hosts and Jim Ross joins him on commentary. We open up with Halloween Havoc clips. And this Wednesday night is the clash. They said this Wednesday night is the clash. It is so nice to be caught up here in syndication, Steve. So nice for everything to make sense. Oh, I yeah. can't tell you how much easier this is on my fucking brain. Oh, you're telling me, man. I haven't had to ask you, is this the right show? Are we supposed to be watching this? How long has it been? They finally got it figured out. It's just unfortunate that we're almost on our way out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. This would be an easy last two months, um, or three months, I would say. We kick things off with... Chris Cruz interviewing the nature boy, Ric Flair. Flair says two men will enter, two world champions. Well, one former world champion and 
Ric Flair, the current world champion, Flair says they've both been very successful in their career, but only one man will say I quit. One man will walk away a winner. One will walk away with their pride. There's that word once again as we go back or we go to the ring for Bob Emery taking on. It plays little howdy duty on your coconut. Dangerous Dan Spivey in a one-on-one matchup. Spivey gets the win with the powerbomb in only 45 seconds. And we're over to a promo with flying Brian Pillman. He will put Lex Luger to the test at Clash of the Champions. Then to the ring for a good one. It's the Steiner brothers taking on the tag team duo of Gene Spurlock and Danny Marlowe. Did you see these guys? They both they, they have that, that chewed bubblegum look. Both of them well over 300 pounds. I think Marlowe closer to the 400-pound mark. And they have matching tights, a matching singlets. So they were a tag team on some outlaw mud show somewhere in the South. Uh, oh, my God. I want to preface this by saying that this match has been put on Twitter. This match has been put on YouTube. You guys can go check it out yourself. It actually begins at the spot. You know which spot I'm talking about here, Steve. Is the, these Lardo job guys are built from Hollywood, California. They do not look like they're from Hollywood, California. My, they don't even try. No cheap sunglasses, nothing. They don't even try. Jim Ross does a voiceover for Troy, New York, and New Haven, Connecticut. During this match, it's Rick Steiner with a nasty Steiner line on Spurlock. But, ho oh, ho, here it comes. Spurlock sent to the corner where he tags in a hesitant Marlowe. I don't know if you paid attention when he tagged him, but I thought that looked like a shoot concerned look on Marlo's face when he tags in and hesitantly steps in the ring because he knows <laughs> what's coming. And oh boy, does it come. Oh my God. Oh my God. Go ahead. Im- immediately <laughs> as Marlo steps in the ring, the very first thing done, Rick Steiner with a go behind into a released German suplex on a 350-plus-pound man who lands on the back of the top of his head. I don't know how his neck didn't break. Completely landed on his skull. It was one of the nastiest bumps we've seen all year. Nastier than Sid Vicious bumps. The stuff he's been doing again. This was, this was, I wrote, I wrote, holy fuck. That's all I could say here. And that's pretty much the response I got on Twitter as well. And then this poor, poor guy it wasn't even over yet. Scott Steiner climbs up to the middle rope to launch himself into the guy with a uh, Steiner line. And then the rolling belly to belly forces the big, large Marlowe over the Steiners get the win in a minute 27. But let's talk about that. That German spot. What was your take? Oh my God, man. Uh, the first thing I did, my nose is like, I want to see these dudes toss around this marshmallow Marlowe. I was like, he's fluffy. And then he gets tagged in and immediately killed with that German suplex. My friend that I grew up with, he loves it when dudes land on the back of their heads. He loves the Tito spot at <laughs> WrestleMania 6. So I, I kind of t- pulled up my phone and took a video while I was watching it and um, sent it to him. And his first response was, oh, my God, he's dead. And uh, <laughs> I was you like, know what? Yeah, you could be any body weight, and that was a dangerous way to land. But to have that much weight on you and land like oh, that, yeah. I don't know how the guy didn't get paralyzed. I really, I don't know. That I was have no idea. Yeah, uh, that was. There, uh, there'd be a lawsuit right now if Rick Steiner did this to anybody <laughs> in wrestling right now. That was a jobber <laughs> that didn't sign a release. Oh, he got released all right yeah. into a German suplex oh, yeah. on his head. <laughs> Rick Steiner would be fired or something if this happened because, <laughs> oh, my God. 
I've never seen anything like it. And I think it's just, I think it's the weight of the guy. Like you said, some dude that size is not meant to land on the back of their head like that. You know, it's bad for anybody. But when you're 400 pounds and you're all that weight is compressed on the back of your neck and head, I have no idea how he's not paralyzed. I, I have no idea. This is a thing that can happen when you jump with the move, when you have a guy who's a former amateur collegiate wrestler who knows how to throw you to begin with. He doesn't need you to jump for him. So when you jump, yeah, that you can land right on the back of your head like that. So, yeah, don't jump when you're in there with a guy like uh, – He's probably <laughs> nervous. Center. Like you said, when he got tagged in, he didn't look too happy. No, that didn't look like a, a job guy pretending to be afraid <laughs> to get in the ring. That looked like a, I don't really want to get in the ring with you. Like what it like, it's almost like Rick said something to him back's like, I can't wait to get in the oh. ring with you. Ha ha ha. And this guy's like, Oh shit. Rick probably told him I was coming. Rick was like, You're tagging in and I'm dropping you with a German. Get ready. Or a belly to back suplex. And so I'm just wondering if once he got in that position to where Rick had his arms around him, like you said, he's like, man, he's probably thinking, there's no way Rick's getting me up. I'm going to jump and help him out. Uh, bad idea, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was the Steiner's idea of having fun. You know, they punch each other in the eyes for fun. Uh, I go back to, I don't remember, it was during the Varsity Club era because um, I know Kevin Sullivan's at ringside. You go back a little bit. There's an episode of World Championship Wrestling where I think it's Gary Royal that Rick Steiner's wrestling, and he gets him down, and he gets him all stretched up in a pretzel-type position, where Gary Royal has his arms pinned back, his legs pinned back, and Rick Steiner takes his hand and sticks it into Gary Royal's singlet and rubs in his fingers into Gary Royal's groin area, the nasty, sweaty groin area, pulls it out and sticks it in Gary Royal's mouth, and Kevin Sullivan, he does it right in front of Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin Sullivan has to walk away from the, breaking kayfabe, <laughs> laughing, has to walk away from the ring because he's doing it right in Kevin's, Kevin's face. Uh, Rick Steiner, he had a, a sixth sense of humor in the ring. I'm not saying he, he was trying to be funny here, but, you know, he's just having fun, I guess is the best way I can put it. Yeah, he's probably testing his strength, see what he can can and can do. Well, we've seen him German Norman. I can get anybody. But, yeah, I mean, this guy, oh, my God. I mean, he protected Norman uh, with the German. Uh, This dude did not get protected. I think he (laughs) wanted to see how far he could launch him. I mean, he did this to Bill Ford, and Bill Ford's an older guy, and he made him eat it on the back of his head. Right. So he's like, if I can do this, I know I can do it to Norman and protect, and I want to do it to this guy I'm protecting. See how bad I can hurt him. I, I'm not oh, saying yeah. he did it on purpose, but I yeah. think he wanted to. See I'll how say far this much: we see Spurlock again over this course of these TV tapings. We never <laughs> see Marlowe again. He's not out there anymore. Spurlock's still in tag matches. I'm assuming Marlowe is meant to be his partner in those matches, but we don't see oh, Marlowe again after this after this match. So who knows what? I happened. don't know if he's injured. I don't know if he's injured or if he said f this. It ain't worth the fifty bucks you give me or hundred bucks, whatever it is. Right. Nope. Going home. NWA update. Chris Cruz recaps the Midnight's and Dynamic Dudes feud, and we get a pre-tape promo with the total package. Lex Luger. This Wednesday night, live and in living color on national TV, the largest viewing audience in professional wrestling history views the clash of the champions, the New York knockout. And the main event, as always, no matter when I wrestle, is the total package because it's showcase time against Broth Lion, Brian Pillman. And Brian Pillman, you are a tremendous young athlete. You have one of the most promising futures that this sport has ever seen. 
but you found out and Halloween Havoc when everybody else in this sport is finding out that I am an unstoppable force in professional wrestling. The world of professional wrestling stands at my feet. I am the champion of the 90s. 270 pounds of chiseled steel, six feet four inches, the total package. And Brian Pillman and the New York Knockouts, you go down for the count because the total package is professional wrestling. Lex Luger is pro wrestling. He sounds drunk. He sounds different. I don't know if it's just the audio being played over the computer or what the case may be. He just sounded different there. And uh, I know he's rocking the shades in this promo, so I'm wondering if he was a little buzzed, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Solid promo. Uh, I love the line that professional wrestling stands at the feet of Lex Luger. Uh, That was great. Um, but this is kind of the same stuff he's been saying uh, for the most part. So really nothing new, but just driving home the fact that he's the best thing going today. So we heard from the total package. We get to see flying Brian in the ring. He's taking on the Cuban assassin. As once again, Lex Luger comes to the ringside scouting his opponent for the clash. Eric Pillman gets the win here over the Cuban in three minutes and 20 seconds. Was there ever any doubt? We've already seen Pillman beat Biller when Cuban and Eddie Gilbert in one night. Beats Cuban Assassin here in only 3 minutes, 20 seconds. Lex Luger teases getting in the ring, takes his shirt off. He's getting ready to fight Brian Pillman, but nah, he's going to wait for the Clash of the Champion. Decides not to get in the ring, and that causes some booze, obviously, to stir. And the crowd is, we'll have to wait until the Clash to see these two get it on one more time. Pettisino knows. Talking Clash 9 and the New Haven, Connecticut localized promo. I wrote, wow, he actually mentions the city in the Pettisino notes, uh, we don't see that very often, uh, where he actually mentions the upcoming house show. He just usually alludes to, let's, let's just say, he's never very specific on where the show's going to be. <laughs> Pretty much. That's a good way to sum it up. Show continues on. Jim Ross interviews the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. Animal says, all pro sports have legends. NW, uh, the NFL has Dick Buckkiss. What a choice. Baseball has Babe Ruth. Hockey has Gordie Howe and, and Wayne Gretzky, the living legend, and the roadies are the greatest history-making team in professional wrestling. They are legends, and they will beat the Freebirds at the Clash of the Champions. Hawk rattles off some things they're going to do to the birds. I didn't write them down, but it, it, was, it was amusing. And the skyscrapers, <laughs> I should mention. Paul Ellering closes out the promo that they all want to make names for themselves. The birds, the skyscrapers, all the teams in the NWA, but they're not going to make names for themselves against the Road Warriors. Yeah, I think I've heard Hawk say that promo before where he's talking about ruptured spleens and all that other stuff that he they're going to take out of the Freebirds. I started class, to write so. everything he said. I started to write what he was saying, and then it just went on and on and on. I'm like, I'm not writing all of this. This is insane. Fucking Hawk. All these things they were gonna do, <laughs> disembowel the fucking three birds, and I wish I wish he I kept his promise. I was doing the same thing. I was like, yeah, okay, he's gonna do like maybe two or three of these. I can get the, and then it was like seven or eight, and I'm like, all right, I'm done. Screw this shit. You you'll either talk about it or you'll get the audio. I wasn't gonna write it down. Right. We get an insert promo from Jimmy Jam Garvin with the one world tag team title. I don't know where the hell the other belt is. We do end up seeing a new belt given, I think when the Steiners win the belts, we finally have two tag titles again. I have no idea where the one went to. It's been missing in action for quite a while now. Garvin says the roadies are talking trash, and this is TBS. 
The Clash is coming up. They'll give the roadies the match that they've been asking for. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it is birds and roadies at the Clash. And we go to the ring with tag team champions, the Freebirds, over Mike Justice and Tommy Angel. Garvin nails Angel with the DDT. One minute and 52 seconds. Now that is the kind of time I'm talking about when it's a Freebirds match in the ring. More Pettacino knows. Pettacino says that Clash of the Champions is simply a night of main events. I can't really argue that given a lot of the matches on the card. He says Pillman has been granted a rematch because of the way Lex Luger won the match at Halloween Havoc. You have to wonder if this is pre-taped and the original plan was for Luger to cheat to get the win. Obviously, Luger won it fair and square, hit the hot shot at Halloween Havoc and covered Pillman for the win. Now, I agree Pillman deserves a rematch because of how close he came to winning, but the way Luger won, I don't know. Seemed a little odd there. I think what he's saying is Pillman was kind of in control and he just got caught with the move. So it wasn't like Luger got him in the rack and won definitively. I mean, it was a clean win, but he kind of just caught Pillman off guard with the hot shot. So I think that's what they're going with there. But it doesn't matter how you win. It's just as long as you win. And Luger did win. So uh, I agree with you, though. Pillman definitely deserves a rematch. So that match was awesome. He was close. It's believable. I'm buying a rematch, and I can't wait to see it. From everything I've read, it's better than the Halloween Havoc match. So if that's the case, it should be pretty solid. Back to the ring. It's a replay of the Norman versus Tommy Rich match from the Power Hour. You know, the one with the teddy bear and the nonsense pinfall. So we'll go on. World champion Ric Flair in the ring taking on Agent Steel. This Wednesday night is Clash of the Champions. Yes, they said it again. I know. We're right back on time. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the syndication gods for fixing everything. All is right in the world as Ric Flair picks up the win here very easy with the figure four in two minutes and 15 seconds. The announcers ponder, can Terry Funk sustain the figure four? Can Ric Flair sustain the spinning toehold? It's a very good question. I don't even know if Terry, well, we'll have to wait and see. As we continue on, promo time, Chris Cruz with Terry Funk, Gary Hart, and Mr. J. Sorry, I was called a Mr. Z. I don't know why I have Z-Man on my brain here, but it's Mr. J. Terry Funk stating he would take Flair's wife and money at the Clash by making him quit. Odd odd choice of words there. Terry Funk and Gary Hart begin to argue about Funk's previous attempts to defeat, uh, to defeat Ric Flair being unsuccessful. Funk says Gary Hart threw in the towel. Gary Hart argues that he did not throw in the towel during Thunderdome. So some dissension there in JTEX Corporation to close out this episode of Worldwide. Yeah, it's kind of weird Funk saying he's going to take this wife and money and and life and things like that. <laughs> like This whole time he's talking about how he doesn't want the life in the fast lane. He doesn't want any of that stuff. He doesn't even want the belt. So now all of a sudden he's going to take the wife and money and because he made he's going to disgrace Ric Flair. So Funk's kind of getting a little bit all over the place. But I did like the dissension in the ranks there. Uh, it's starting to splinter subtly. And um we're what five days away from the clash four days or whatever the case may be. So right. uh really, really good job getting that in there. Cause they've kind of, like I mentioned right before Halloween havoc, how he's saying, so if you, if you, if this is going on, you don't want me to throw in the towel, right? Like kind of getting rid of culpability uh, for the towel being thrown in. So that kind of started it. And here we are. Uh, I was waiting for this to pop up the, the dissension there and it happened here on worldwide. So I like it. We move on to the 605, only it's not the 605. Tonight's a special start time of 6. Wow, what a special start time. Five minutes early, normal time, not Turner time, here for November 11th and World Championship Wrestling. 
taped back at center stage on November 1st. So back, back on November 1st, they recorded two episodes of World Championship Wrestling. This episode and the one that will air after The Clash. So they got to be very careful here. And Jim Ross is out here, but no more Jim Cornette. I wrote, oh, shit. Michael Hayes is back in the announced mm-hmm. booth with Jim Ross here for very good reason, which we'll get to when we do the next couple of uh, episodes of World Championship Wrestling in a couple weeks here on The Grenade. Uh, Jim Ross introduces Hayes. I hate that. The Birds got the roadies at the Clash and the Steiners here next week on TV. So the Birds got a lot of uh, tag teams coming up and that, that it may not bode well for them. Pre-tape promo from Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He's got Sid Vicious tonight, Steve. S- uh, Doc says Sid is big, but Dr. Death is a wrestling machine. No doubt about that. Doom number one in the ring. That's Ron Simmons, for those who are wondering. Accompanied the ring by woman taking on both Larry Santo and Tommy Angel in a handicap match. Woman pays them enough. One man should be able to beat two, she says. Makes sense. Ron Simmons tears apart Tommy Angel, then allows Larry Santo to tag in for a, what I called a chokeslam driver in a minute and 51 seconds. Grabbed the guy by the throat, didn't really pick him up in the air, just drove him down on the back of his head. Really nasty. Yeah, it was great. I really liked it. I didn't know what the hell to call it. I said the choke slam off the ropes, but the yeah, choke slam driver definitely fits. <laughs> he drove him down. Sounds that's like only su- thing, that's the only thing I can come sounds up like with. Sounds like something uh, Lance Russell would dub it. Good way to just expl- describe it there. Yeah, it goes right up there with the flying foot kick. So there you go. Choke slam driver. <laughs> side Pre-ta- saddle slam, huh? <laughs> yeah, side saddle slam. Pre-tape promo by woman. She had a treat at Halloween Havoc, and she gave it to them as hard as she could. Wow. She's not done with the Steiners yet. She's putting them out of the business once and for all. So the Doom and Steiner storyline continues. Obviously, it makes sense. Uh, the Steiners were robbed out of their match with the debuting Doom. As we go to the ring, we see the Steiner, Steiner brothers taking on Fred Avery and William Bell. Jimmy Garvin joins Michael Hayes on commentary for this one repeatedly. Uh, Jimmy says he's going to the limo with the girls. He's not, he's not taking the Steiners seriously is the story here. The birds are not preparing for the Steiner brothers. They're not worried at all. They beat him back at... Clash 8, and they think they have it in the bag. Garvin more worried about the girls in the limo than he is wrestling the Steiner brothers. Rick, he- uh, Rick Steiner here with an overhead belly-to-belly on Bell. Scott then with an overhead suple- super belly-to-belly off the top rope. And then another, a third belly-to-belly by Rick Steiner on Bell gets the win in 3 minutes, 13 seconds. And we learn it's the Steiners and the Skyscrapers. Holy shit. At Clash of the Champions. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. Tag team action with Sting teaming with Flying Brian Pillman taking on the State Patrol. We get an insert promo from Sting as he talks Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger at the Clash. He can't remember Pillman's fancy lines is what <laughs> Sting calls him. So instead we get an ow! Sting literally says, I don't remember Brian's fancy lines, so all I can say is ow! So yeah, that's what Sting does when, when he can't come up with anything else. And he calls Brian Pillman's lines Fancy, I had to laugh. I wrote, what a team, though. My God, Sting and Pillman out there. Good to see the Patrol put up a fight here. I thought this was a fun, competitive TV match as Buddy Lee Parker blocks a scorpion by grabbing the ropes to continue the match just a little longer. But Air Pillman finally puts Parker away while Sting keeps Errol Wright at bay and the baby faces get the win in 9 minutes, 15 seconds. I felt this was a fun TV match. I didn't mind it going 9 minutes. No, I didn't either. There's a lot of short matches on this card. On this show, this episode of World Championship Wrestling. So this one getting 10 minutes uh, worked for me as well. I thought Pillman and Sting were great together. 
they look awesome together. Like you said, it's a great looking tag team. And I'm surprised at some of the things like blocking the Scorpion and and things like that that they allowed the State Patrol to get in on them. Uh, there was one spot that was pretty funny. Uh, they threw Sting to the floor, and he gets right back in before the State Patrol could get down on the ground to kind of double team him on the outside. Sting's back in the ring, and they get pissed off <laughs> why he's back in the ring. So all in all, like I'm I'm with you, man. It was a pretty fun TV match here. We continue on Norman in the ring with Teddy Long in his corner taking on Mike Justice. Norman gets another bear from the crowd as Teddy Long shakes in rage. He grabs the bear from Norman, rips the bear's head off, and kicks it away. Norman's sad, but he continues on wrestling in the ring when out of nowhere, Dr. Death comes ringside with a giant teddy bear, four or five feet tall at least. Norman is so pleased as Dr. Death hands off the bear and gives him a big ho. And Teddy Long is even more livid now, of course, Dr. Death doing this, getting on Long's nerves because Dr. Death's getting ready to wrestle Sid Vicious later in the show. Norman and the bear, along with Norman, hit a double big splash on Mike Justice from the middle rope to pick up the win in a minute and eight seconds. Post-match, Teddy Long wants the bear, but Norman won't give it up. Teddy Long storms off, thugging and bugging. Uh, no, the bear, <laughs> this, was, this is how it should have been done initially. And I thought it was hilarious him coming off the middle rope with the splash with the bear. It made sense with it being a jobber. I like Doc, too. He's showing a little personality. He's just being himself here. He's just getting under the skin of Teddy Long, kind of putting some heat on the match against Sid later on. So uh, good stuff. A lot better than what they did with Tommy Rich and Norman. Absolutely. We continue on with a replay from the Power Hour of Funk's Grill with Ric Flair via satellite. And we go to Ric Flair in the ring, taking on Lee Scott. I've been waiting for this. Uh, with Ric Flair in the babyface position, but we don't really get uh, a solid match between the two. As Terry Funk comes ringside as Ric Flair pitches Lee Scott out of the ring. Flair calls Terry Funk on as Gary Hart and Mr. J hold the Funker back. Lee Scott back in the ring, and it's not too long before Ric Flair gets the win with the figure four in two minutes and 19 seconds. I would have liked to have seen this go a little longer, I guess. I, I just like would have seen what we could have got between Lee Scott and Ric Flair. But I guess it is what it is when you're in there with the world champion. Yeah, I think so, too. They could have done something, you know, four or five minute match where it was pretty entertaining. Like you said, if Ric Flair was the heel. But I, I, I got to give the devil his due. Michael Hayes had an excellent line at the start of the match. I don't know if you picked up on it, but um, he said anyone on the level of Lee Scott need to listen. Whenever you're out in the ring with the world champion, you need to let it all hang out because what do you have to lose? Like basically saying like jobbers need to put in their best effort when they get right. the opportunity to go against the world champion. So I, I think that's a reflection of uh, Lee Scott. I mean, he's earned it over the course of 1989. So I think we've seen the wrestlers give him action in the ring. It sounds like Michael Hayes is putting him over. You know, you got to let it all hang out because he does. He lets it all hang out anyway. And so uh, I thought Michael Hayes did an excellent job there promoting uh, Lee Scott a little bit. And they do a little tease just going into the Clash, too, that we might see Flair and Funk get it on here. But Funk's held back, and we'll have to wait until the Clash. As we continue on with action, it's the Z-Man taking on Lou Taffaloni, a.k.a. Louis Spicoli. Not really sure why they use this weird, odd last name of Taffaloni here. As the Z-Man picks up the win in a mere 58 seconds. So the Z-Man puts Louis and me to sleep in record time. What a shit finisher. Promo time with Jim Ross as he talks to the total package, Lex Luger. Lex has to get up each and every morning and look at the physical perfection in the mirror. 
He's so glad to be Lex Luger. He gets down on his knees and thanks the creator above for making the total pass. This is insane. The looks, the body, <laughs> the intelligence to be the man of the 90s. He's an unstoppable force in this sport. Then he takes his shirt off. And this is the look of the 1990s. Brian Pillman has a lot going for him. But at New York Knockout, it's time once again for Lex to show Brian Pillman just what he is. The greatest wrestler in the sport today. Man. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> he knows how to put himself over, huh? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I believe you. every word he said. I, I, I believe do, every word he I said. I think that's why it works. I think that's why it works here. Oh, my God. I can just see him. I can see him doing this. So that, that's we what get, makes it work, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. We get the Starcade promo again, and this time I caught a line in it that I'm not a real big fan of. They say, titles are of no concern. I wrote, what the fuck? Like, you're basically that's, shit. Like, that's that's insane. I understand the belts aren't on the line and why the belts aren't on the line. But to say titles are of no concern as if a round-robin tournament is more important than your belts. I, I, didn't like the, I didn't like the line at all. Yeah, I don't like the line. And I also don't like the fact that they do nothing with this tournament. Like, you win the tournament and that's it. It's done and forgotten about. You move on. Why can't you put, like, a t- like the winners of the tournament get a title shot? Yeah, I mean something. Why not make it something beyond yeah, something beyond. Uh, well, I won, <laughs> and then it's like completely it's forgotten about afterwards. Yeah, it's a, it's a throwaway, and it's Starcade. It's it's what, crazy. What, when did Sting become the number one contender? Because I know that was the big hiccup at Clash Ten that we're, we're not going to do. Did they use that, or did he have a? I'm not I'm, sure. I'm, I'm not know. sure how they go into that. Yeah, that's another year, another grenade, another topic down the line, I suppose. Yeah, we'll see. We continue on. It's dream match time. The first real dream match all month long so far. It's Sid Vicious taking on Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Oh, my God. Nose to nose, these guys go. Oh, man, I was pumped as they begin trading punches. I need more of this in my life, Steve. Sid with a big power slam and drops down to the knee and plays up to the crowd. But Dr. Death up and nails Sid. Oh, made Sid take a German suplex. And then just for fun, Doc drops to his knee. And plays to the crowd. Fun stuff there. Sid comes back with that nasty clothesline to take over the match. But Doc, back with a clothesline of his own. And a shoulder tackle to Sid, but Sid won't bump. He bounces into the ropes. Sid Vicious winds up missing a charge and takes a bump out to the floor where they brawl until Dan Spivey attacks for the disqualification in only 3 minutes and 28 seconds. I said, fuck you, Dan Spivey, for ruining this for me. Spivey... Uh, and Sid uh, beat the crap out of Doc. The story is Doc just kept fighting back. He's a tough son of a bitch. But at the end of the day, there are two skyscrapers, and they finally get one up on him as Tommy Angel and Jerry Price uh, try to make the save, but they end up getting their ass kicked. I don't know what was up Jerry Price's ass here. He got in the ring four times. Sid kept shit-canning him out to the outside, and Jerry Price just kept getting back in there. More TV time, I suppose. Finally, Norman shows up with his teddy bear to check on Doc after the beatdown from the skyscrapers. I wasn't expecting a finish here, don't get me wrong, but three minutes and 28 seconds was just too short. I agree. My, my biggest thing is, why didn't anybody come out to help Doc? Yeah. Uh, is that just to put him over that he's a badass and he kept on coming back against two guys? Norman came out like after everybody was gone, like so he didn't come out to help. He just came out to check on him uh, with his teddy bear. So I don't, I didn't necessarily care for that aspect of it because I feel like somebody has to like doc i mean somebody has to be back there that would 
be willing to help him against the skyscrapers, but right. uh, maybe even the roadies. But obviously they don't want to give that away where they're touching or doing anything until the clash. So I don't know. That was my that was my biggest hiccup with it. But all in all, that match was pretty fun while it lasted. Back to the ring, the Samoan Savage, accompanied by his brothers and uh, <laughs> well, his brother Fatu and cousin Samu, and the big Kahuna Oliver Humperdinck taking on Richard Sartain immediately. Takes Sartain to the floor and nails him with a chair. Back in the ring, it's the Vader bomb headbutt and pins the man with one foot. Match went two minutes and 37 seconds. We then get highlights of the Midnight's Dude and Jim Cornette storyline. Obviously, none of them, uh, we don't really get anything else. So we don't really need anything else going into the clash. Basically, an entire recap of the feud works here as we go to the ring with the Midnight Express taking on George South and Pat Rose. No Cornette again. So Cornette's completely missing in action on this episode of World Championship Wrestling, and for good reason, we'll find out at the Clash, as Stan Lane nails the leg sweep, and they look for the finish, but no. They run out of time, and we cut to Craig Sager doing some college football, and so no finish is shown. As the Midnights, I guess they were told to go five minutes, and they ran a little over. Usually the setup to their finisher is Stan Lane's leg sweep. So we get the leg sweep, and then we just fade to black. And go to, and they yeah. cut to Craig Sager, Sager. So once he's done and they come back, they never mention uh, who won the match or anything about this match again. Obviously, we know the Midnight's got the win here going into the clash. I just thought it was comical that the match was still going when they had to cut away. Yeah. I was just surprised that they gave us nothing after they came back. I mean, I get it. We know who wins, but uh why can't they when they come back say sorry uh they went uh you know craig sager had to hop in there uh, well i think the reason for that the reason for that is is that that craig sager stuff is live or at least taped taped then and this was you know recorded however long ago so they had no idea it was going to interrupt i mean we're we're so accustomed to today's live tv that yeah I, i get your thought process i guess that's why they didn't but it was still funny because again this is recorded you could have edited this to fit properly and they did yeah. it. So, <laughs> I think, to the ring. I think what we've realized is once shit is in the can, it is in the can. And I've heard <laughs> that said repeated. To Tony Schiavone has preached that into the ground in World Championship Wrestling. He was <laughs> once shit was recorded, it was done. There was they weren't going back and editing shit. And uh, so, so it is what it is. That's the was the big difference between you know post production didn't exist in the uh, NWA. That's crazy. I mean, uh, we've talked about it uh, in the Monday show, how like the Luger stuff, right? When he went back to Nitro, how they went in and had to edit out superstars and challenge where they showed that angle where he was getting beat up. I can't even remember who did it. Man on a but, mission. Um, yeah. Some Bulldog. Like that. That ma- yeah, that makes sense. Mabel and Bulldog, yeah. So uh, they edited all that out because they didn't even want him on their TV. So um and that was like with the one or two day notice and they had to get it to a shit ton of people. Yeah. That's just the way it works. So they cared enough to do it. Whereas this, I clearly understand that once it's in the can, they're done. Show continues on Ranger Ross taking on Bob Emery. We get an insert promo from the dudes talking midnight express during a Ranger Ross match. Combat <laughs> kick ends it in three minutes, and 11 seconds. No mention of the match with Cuban assassin last week. No mention of the Terminator, Mark Laurinaitis, who attacked Ranger Ross from last week. No mention of anything, just a Ranger Ross squad. Very odd how they did that here. As we go to our next dream match, it was slated to be TV champion, the great Muda defending against Tommy Rich. But, of course, Tommy Rich out with that that uh, ruptured eardrum 
thanks to the total package. So instead, it's Tommy Rich accompanying the Italian Stallion to ringside. Muda has Gary Hart and Mr. J in his corner. We get a hybrid match from Muda here. It's a bunch of high-flying moves and holds. Stallion holds his own, maybe a little too much, I thought. But Muda locks in the Muda lock on Stallion. Stallion even hangs on here for a little bit. But Muda finally gets the win in 6 minutes and 34 seconds. I understand they were trying to give somebody something. They had promised the Tommy Rich match. They wanted to give you something competitive. You couldn't, again, you can't go to guys like the Z-Man because you don't want to job them out. And you already did the DQ earlier with Sid and, and Doc. So you want to get a win here. I, I guess Stallion was sitting around backstage and he gets the pick. And he's capable of going, I guess, 6 minutes here. I felt it was a little too long, but I, I, I saw what they were going for. I didn't mind it. I'm actually kind of glad it was the Italian Stallion instead of Tommy Rich. Oh, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you that part. <laughs> so he had a really nice snap German suplex that he hit Mood on. Uh, I, I'm with you. Maybe a little bit too much offense uh, for somebody the caliber uh, against Muda. And so, I know I mean, Stallion Italian. don't look like a whole lot here. He's put on a lot of pounds since he first started in the business at this point. But he's a former two-time collegiate champion. This guy's no fucking slouch. When I think that's why he's always been given. That might be why he went so long with Doc on that clash too. You know, Doc has that background as well. Maybe he respects you know Stallion's background. He don't look like much, and most of his career he was a job guy. I mean, he got a little push here and there in the NWA from time to time on the underneath. Yeah. But I think that's why they always go to him whenever they need something like this. They they know he's capable and they they respect his background. Yeah, I think he he, he looked legit to me. I didn't. I didn't have any. I was like, oh, the Italian step really. Then all of a sudden, I'm watching the match, and I know six minutes seems like a long time for the Italian Stallion, but I didn't feel cheated at all. I thought. It oh, was I didn't think the really match was bad. I thought the way he's Tommy been Rich utilized been lately. Terrible. Yeah, Tommy Rich would have been far worse. He wouldn't even know how to have bumped for Muda. Yeah. Uh, my exactly. issue was how Stallion's been being used as a complete job yeah. guy. Two, three minute squashes, and now yeah, Muda. It take now we now we have to take him seriously this week. I don't. I'm not. Uh, you know, knocking Stallion yeah. is one of the better job guys of the '80s. I agree with you there. I mean, he's been complete jobber. He's not even jobber to the stars level. Right. He's just jobber in two or three minutes by everybody, and all of a sudden, respect him to. Be- we're supposed to believe he has a shot against Muda, then all of a sudden he's going six and a half minutes. It'd be nice if they capitalized on it and gave him a small push at the bottom of the card, but uh, I doubt they do that. This is probably just a one-off, and they're not even gonna remember how that happened. We get the SST in the ring with the Simone Savage and Humperdinck in their corner taking on Gene Spurlock and no Danny Marlowe. It's Agent Steel. I wrote, maybe Marlowe died after that Steiner's match. We get an insert promo from Oliver Humperdinck as he calls the SST the Wild Samoans. He says the Wild Samoans are back. And now Michael Hayes leaves commentary. Now Michael Hayes leaves commentary near the end of the show. Thanks a lot, asshole. It's Fa too with the <laughs> Samoan drop on Spurlock, and Samu comes off, diving headbutt gets the win, one minute and 39 seconds. And we close out this week's edition of World Championship Wrestling with Jim Ross interviewing the Nature Boy. It's Ric Flair's final promo, I think, uh, before Clash of the Champions. I haven't gotten a main event here yet, but I think this is Flair's final big promo. He walks down one aisle, Terry Funk comes down another. Two men with reputations a mile long built on the premise that neither one of them ever said I quit. What a load of shit, Ric Flair. You quit earlier this year against Ricky Steamboat, for fuck's sakes. They say Ric Flair is out of his mind, but if he turned it down, what would they think of him? He's the NWA. 
and he bases it all on being the best. So Ric Flair basically feels forced into having to agree to this match because how can he turn it down? What would, the, what would everybody think of the Nature Boy if he said no? Terry Funk is going to be the one who says I quit. One final woo sends us off the air. Now, what'd you think of the, uh, the whole promo to close out the show? Ric Flair finally setting the stage for the clash. Yeah, I like the idea that he basically got painted into a corner. He put everything on the line, basically his reputation and everything. And if he said no, like either way he's screwed. If he doesn't want the match, they're going to say he's a, a puss. If he does take the match, he has everything to lose and nothing to gain. Um, so he painted himself into that corner. He had to take it. Now it's time. It's time for the bell to ring. Well, let's get it going. And we're going to close out this week's episode of The Grenade talking about the NWA main event for November 12th. This one's missing in action, but I found it in German. Das ist gut, ja? As we see Z-Man in the ring taking on Pat Rose gets the win really quickly with the sleeper in one minute and five seconds. You know, Steve, you wouldn't think you could fuck up in one minute, but you haven't met the Z-Man. He can't even do a backdrop right here as Pat Rose lands on the Z-Man's back and Z just so slow to... Hoist Rose up in the air. It just gets all discombobulated and Rose falls over to the side. And it's just not pretty. It's more Tom Zank being Tom Zank. It's like the guy forgot how to fuck. It's like he's never wrestled before. I don't get this 1989 Tom Zank shit. And the show goes on. It's flying Brian taking on Jimmy Garvin. I mentioned this happened earlier the weekend on pro the November 11th pro episode. Lots of groundwork early by Brian Pillman. Jimmy Garvin takes over after a hot shot. And why not? Cause Eddie Gilbert's not really using the move. It seems to be Pillman's kryptonite lately, that hot shot. Luger beat him with it. Now Garvin takes over. Garvin is slowed down, but he's still fundamentally sound, I wrote, unlike Michael Hayes. So yes, Garvin's not the Garvin of old, but he's still okay here. As Brian Pillman makes the big comeback, Michael Hayes attacks. That causes the disqualification. As Brian Pillman picks up the win in 10 minutes and 39 seconds, and the Z-Man, or as Lance Russell calls him, z makes the save and runs the birds off. And that's why we get the birds versus Zenk and Pillman next week on the power hour. So Brian Pillman picks up the win over Garvin there in 10 and a half minutes. Not very good, but not too bad either. And we'll close out this main event with Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert taking on the Midnight Express. Again, no Jim Cornette. Bobby Eaton shakes the hands of Rich and Gilbert prior to the match, but Stan Lane refuses. Stan Lane does a skin the cat but Rich completely fucks the spot up, thus fucking up the entire spot. I, it's, uh, it was terrible. Tommy Rich was being Tommy Rich in this match, and it really showed up. Stan Lane tried to work an entire spot in where he gets thrown over the top rope, skins the cat back in, and he's supposed to do a spot with Tommy, but Tommy's not even in position anymore. It was, uh, it was Tommy Rich. It's the best way I can describe that. <laughs> Eddie Gilbert was looking good here, really moving fast. He was into this until... They tried the old leapfrog low blow spot, the, the one we saw recently. I, I, I can't remember. What was it, Eddie and Conan? I can't remember what I saw it on, but we've seen it before. We've seen Wyndham and Doc do it on Starcade 87. I hate this spot, and they do it too often here in the NWA for you to buy it. As Eddie goes in the air, he accidentally catches the forehead of, I can't remember which midnight it was, but it's a low blow. It's supposed to be unintentional, or was it? as we're selling the, the Midnight's as heels, completely screwed it up as Eddie just jumps in the air and grabs his own junk, never even connecting with the Midnight Express member. Another completely blown spot, this time making you ponder if the Midnight's did it on purpose. So the Midnight's finally take over the match, but this has been very sloppy. 
Uh, maybe the worst, and it's not the Midnight's fault, this might be the worst Midnight Express match to date on TV for the year. Aggressive and double teaming on Eddie Gilbert, however, Stan Lane tosses him over the top rope. Eaton back in the ring with his big backbreaker. I know you love that move. Midnight Express in full control as they take over on Eddie Gilbert's back. Meanwhile, Jim Cornette and the Dynamic Dudes come ringside mid-match, distracting the Midnights. Stan Lane telegraphs a backdrop. Eddie Gilbert nails him with a boot to the face and a flying forearm to make the hot tag to the wildfire. We get a four-way melee as the Midnight Express begin cheating, and Johnny Ace tries to go after Stan Lane on the apron, which causes Cornette to get in the ring and separate the two. The referee sees Corny in the ring, and since he manages the Midnights, he randomly disqualifies the Midnights, even though Cornette did absolutely nothing but separate Stan Lane and Johnny Ace. I wrote, okay. And that was a cheap way out of this match as Stan Lane screams at Cornette for costing the match by disqualification. Gilbert and Rich win by DQ here in 9 minutes and 26 seconds. All the shit that they don't call all year long, then they call that just for having some extra guy in the ring. That makes sense. I'm not Corny never went after uh, Gilbert or Rich. He wasn't even near them. He was separating his own guys. And he gets disqualified because he's standing in the ring. Sounds like he was trying to... Stop the disqualification from happening. Yes. Instead, he gets called for the disqualification. And just another thing to piss off Stan Lane going into the clash. Uh, so that's what yep. we get to close out two weeks of TV. And let's talk just a couple quick notes here. TV ratings for this weekend are still on the upswing. as Power Hour on November 10th shattered its old record with a 2.9 rating. The previous best was 2.6. So another third of a point. Here's nice Power Luba, Hour. Baby. Yeah, that's total package and and Dickie Murdoch. Wonder what wonder what the rematch is going to do. World Championship Wrestling with Sid versus Doc in the main event drew a two point nine as well, which ties the previous week and the second highest of the entire year. While the NWA main event even draws a two point four there. So another great weekend for the NWA. Even the Power Hours back. I mean, really back. It's it's done its best rating of all time. It's awesome. Great to see that. As we head into the clash, so great timing on that as well. Can't wait to mm-hmm. see what the clash rating is. And we learned that the Road Warriors agreed to return for the option year of their contract, so they are signed, supposedly, with the NWA through December 9th of 1990, which should end any rumors of them going anywhere else. <laughs> Yet do you know, Mr. Meltz. From what I'm told, says the Meltz, terms were the same as last year. That's $2,000 per match for each Road Warrior and 1100 for Paul Ellering and 250 dates per year, which means they'll trail probably only Flair and Hogan as the highest-paid wrestlers in North America. That's a half a million dollars each. It says that there have been talks that the Warriors wouldn't renew for their option year, but they have re-signed. Now, I think what happens is they teach the Road Warriors by limiting their dates. They were promised 250 dates. I think they cut those down quite a bit, and I don't know if that's how the Roadies get out of their contract or they simply didn't want to pay them anymore because they weren't you know drawing like they had been uh, obviously Vince gets the roadies by the summer of 1990 they certainly don't stay with the NWA through to next December I'm not turning down that option you're getting paid that much money no to do so, to do what uh, they got to do you can't I mean, say I blame them they barely no, show up absolutely. for TV tapings and <laughs> just work the house shows and... yeah, yeah not bad at all sign me up for that gig wonder what yeah. Vince would have paid for him in 89 uh to get him still him at the end of the year there and I know they didn't do really anything with the World Rumble. That would have been one hell of a surprise entrant, having Hawk and Animal come out. 
That would yeah, be crazy. But interesting to see what they did with them with demolition full bone baby faces here, too, at this time in 1989. Mm, that would have been good shit. That wraps it up this week. Another grenade in the books. We'll be back next week with Clash of the Champion 9, New York Knockout, the watch-along. And in two weeks' time, we'll close out November with another two weeks of November and the NWA. And then it's, uh, what, just December is all that's left after that. You guys, if anybody knows their calendar. Uh, so we're almost done here with the NWA in 1989. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're getting there. The finish line is in sight. And uh, some decent stuff coming up. You know, we get some surprises. And uh, we got Starcade to go. Uh, we got the reward show at the end. And uh, we got a lot. We still have a lot to do here to put a bow on the NWA. But I've had a blast doing it. And um, I've learned a lot. And uh, I'm ready to learn some more. So, um yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, and for anyone curious, this is basically our setup for the remainder of the shows here in the NWA 1989. We've got the Clash Watch along next week, the rest of November 89, the week after that, the first two weeks of December, then Starcade, the watch along, our final watch along. It's going to be sad to say our final watch along here in the <laughs> NWA. And then our final episode of recap of TV and news and notes will con- uh, we'll cover the final three weeks of December 1989, and as you pointed out, a special awards show. We're going to kind of recap the, the year. We're going to talk some of our favorite, not-so-favorite parts of the year here in the NWA, and that's going to culminate the week of WrestleMania this year. And then also on that show, we're going to announce our next project here on The Grenade. What year are we going to next? What promotion are we moving over to next? You'll just have to tune in and find out in just a few weeks' time. Uh, so, Steve, I want to thank you again for putting a bow on this show. And we got another uh, watch-along next week, and it's our final Clash watch-along for the Grenade. Yeah, the, what stinks is it seems like NWA is finally hitting its stride, and um, and it's almost time for us to say goodbye. So uh, <laughs> maybe one day down the line we can bust out w- NWA 1990 and kind of continue on with this story that we started here in 1989. But uh that's a ways away, and um, I'm looking forward to the Clash watch along, and then everything else we got coming. Yeah, it's a it's a bittersweet uh, thought to know that this is our final Clash. I love doing the Clashes, but at the same time, I mean, it, it had to come to an end. All good things come to an end, and I, you really start to feel it now. Now that you've you know you're moving over the hump, you're you're making your way to the end of November. You know the only thing left is December, and that's it. Uh, so it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. We'll continue on this ride until we close out the NWA here in 1989. Steve, thanks for joining me once again to talk all about the NWA. And we continue to learn things we've never known before, a lot, especially on these syndicated episodes. They teach a lot of new things, including if you're Danny Marlowe, maybe you want to rethink your, uh, your day job. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been fun, man. Thanks for having me again. And we'll see you guys next week. It's Clash of the Champions 9, The Watch Along. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter at Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. 
Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time, but we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front, and we want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021, so we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. Until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Very frankly, my gut reaction, my head tells me, Terry Funk has too much heritage, too much background to ever say I quit, but I hope I'm wrong. <laughs>